mingles in a fruit fight. Every color of day. Whirling around at night. I'm playing this music. There goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody. Welcome on this Saturday morning, October 22nd, 2011, to Dave's Gone By, a show that has been around since October of 2002. So we're well into our 10th season now. Unbelievable. Started in New York all those years ago, been at the University of Northern Colorado for the past two years, and having an absolutely wonderful time every Saturday morning from 10 until 1 in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, I say this every time, all hosts from, you know, Jack Parr to David Letterman to, I don't know, Jay Leno, anybody, the guy on the 700 Club says, we have a great packed show for you today, but um, I really mean it, <laughs> usually every time I say it, and I certainly mean it this particular morning. Listen to what we have lined up for you on Dave's Gone By. First of all, we have two guests, and they're both in the cabaret and um, popular music field, but from a jazzy theater perspective. One of them is an English singer, songstress, who has discovered her niche not in the usual cabaret stuff of uh, Rodgers and Hart and Frank Lesser and um, people, Sammy Kahn. Not that there's anything at all wrong with that, and there's, there's wonderful things in traditional cabaret, but she found her niche in the music that I really grew up with, the singer-songwriters of the 60s and 70s, and the 50s too, the Jacques Brels and the Simon Garfunkels, and most importantly, and most recently, Barb Junger has really gotten into Bob Dylan. She's released two CDs that are almost exclusively, if, if not exclusively, his material, and now she has a cabaret show that she's doing in New York, uh, based on Bob Dylan music. It's gotten unbelievable rave reviews. I'll, I'll read a little bit from them later on in the New York trades. So Barb Younger is going to be with us in the neighborhood talking about Bob Dylan, about her cabaret show, about her kind of music and her career. Should be a lot of fun. And, of course, we're going to play Bob uh, Barb Younger's versions of a few Bob Dylan songs. It'll kind of take the place of our usual Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment, where we play a half dozen Bob Dylan tunes by the man himself. These will be all covers by her as we welcome her into the neighborhood in about 25 minutes. Also, another guest on this episode is someone who was here back in 2007, 
He's done Broadway, Off-Broadway, and now he's definitely concentrating on cabaret. His latest show really plays to his greatest strength, and that is the songs of Jerry Herman. Herman, of course, the composer of such classic Broadway musicals as Hello, Dolly! and La Caja Full. He also did Mac and Mabel and uh, The Grand Tour, Milk and Honey. And there's something about the bubbliness and optimism of Jerry Herman's music and his outlook on life that just jibes with the kind of singing that Jason Grah does. Uh, and, you know, Jason Grah is this twinkly sort of charming presence, and it works so beautifully for so much of what Jerry Herman writes. And so Jason will be stopping in once again to the neighborhood to talk about his new show. He's gotten rave reviews for that, uh, called Perfect Harmony. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm not the only one who does horrible puns in this world. Perfect Harmony is an, um, a cabaret show that Jason is doing. Let's see, where is that? It is at the Laurie Beachman Theater in the West Bank Cafe in New York through October 25th. So a couple more days to catch it. He also has a new CD called Perfect Harmony based on the show. So Jason will be here. Barb Younger will be here. We will also be going inside Broadway because I just got back from New York. I was there for about a week catching as much theater as I could, just checking in with the scene over there. Saw 11 shows in six and a half days. So it uh, really made it my business to, <laughs> to check the stuff out. And I'll be talking about two of those shows on Inside Broadway this morning on Dave's Gone By. One of them is the revival of Stephen Sondheim and William Goldman's Follies, one of the major works in the Sondheim canon. They did a Broadway revival of it just a couple of years ago, and it was terrible. Did they do better this time? Did they find the clue, the, the way to make Follies really sing and work? And hey, it's got some amazing people in it. Bernadette Peters, Jan Maxwell, I mean, pretty hoity-toity cast. Jane Hoodyshell is in there. Ron Raines will be talking about Follies on Inside Broadway, as well as a little off-off-Broadway show called Intringulous, which uh, tells of the, the true story of a young man's immigration to America, not quite so legally, and how he lived both under and over the radar for many, many years until becoming a citizen. Really, really interesting stuff. So, Follies in Tringulus on Inside Broadway. And we will also start our Saturday segue, which um, has is going to be dedicated, unfortunately, to two people whom the music world lost over the last couple of weeks while I was on vacation. One of them is Bert Jansch, a uh, folk songwriter, singer, and, and really terrific guitarist, maybe best known for his work with a folk group called the Pentangle, but really he spent most of his career doing solo and also performing with other people and, and had an influence on everyone from Led Zeppelin to Beth Orton, uh, Bert Jansch, who died just a, a few days ago, as well as Indian legend Jagjit Singh, really not so well known outside Indian and Ghazal circles. But I did almost a whole show on him many, many years ago when I went to sp 
see him perform live in New Jersey. And just, you know, some of his music is really, really beautiful. Some of it is a little too traditional for my taste and then goes on a bit, but others of it is just crossover enough to really be listenable and, and great. And I'm going to play a bit of Jagjit Singh and Bert Jansh on this episode of Dave's Gone By. So there you go, huh? Huh? I told you, quite an episode. Barb Younger, Jason Gra, Inside Broadway, Jansh and Singh. Sorry about that pun, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let us get to some Barb Younger, because she'll be with us in just about 20 minutes. Here's a, a really cool version. I don't like all of her adaptations of the Bob Dylan songs. I have to say that. I think some of them are pushing the envelope. They're, they're kind of taking songs that really worked one way and giving them a whole new spin that just feels you know, kind of overlaid and saddled onto it. But this version of Things Have Changed, uh, I, I like very much. It's got a tango-y feel, and it's got a real sense of uh, Rightliness and humor. It's from her CD, Every Grain of Sand. Barb Younger sings Bob Dylan. Here she sings, Things Have Changed. Worried man with a worried mind. No one in front of me and nothing behind. There's a woman on my lap, and she's drinking champagne. Looking up into the sapphire-tinted skies I'm well-dressed, waiting on the last train Standing on the gallows with my head in a noose Any minute now I'm expecting all hell to break loose People are crazy and times are strange I'm locked in tight I'm out of range, I used to care But things have changed This place ain't doing me any good I'm in the wrong town I should be in Hollywood just for a second there, I thought I saw something move. Gonna take dancing lessons to the jitterbug rag. Ain't no shortcuts, gonna dress in drag. Only a fool here would think he's got anything to prove. A lot of water under the bridge, a lot of other stuff too.
in the night, drinking white rum in a Portugal bar. Them playing leapfrog and hearing about Snow White. You in the marketplace in Savannah, Lamar. Sarah, oh Sarah, it's all so clear I could never forget. Sarah, oh Sarah, loving you is one thing I'll never. I can still hear the sound of those Methodist bells. I'd taken the cure and had just gotten through. Staying up for days in the Chelsea Hotel, writing "Sad-eyed lady of the lowlands" for you, Sarah. Oh, Sarah, wherever we travel, wind. Never apart, Sarah, oh Sarah, beautiful lady, so dear to my heart. How did I meet you? I don't know. A messenger sent me in a tropical storm. You were there in the winter moon. Light on the snow and on Lily Pond Lane when the weather was warm. Sarah, oh Sarah, Scorpio spinks in a calico dress. Sarah, oh Sarah, you must forgive me. Beaches deserted except for some kelp and a piece of an old ship that lies on the shore. You always responded when I needed your help. You gave me a map and a key to your door. Sarah, oh Sarah, glamorous nymph. With an arrow and bow, Sarah, oh Sarah, don't ever leave me. Don't ever go.
sense Take what you have gathered from coincidence The empty hand it painted from your streets Is drawing crazy patterns on your sheets The sky too is folding on you Taken all his blankets from the floor. The carpet too is moving on you, and it's all over now, baby Push too 
Maybe my favorite uh, Bob Dylan song of the past bunch of years, that's Sugar Baby, as performed by the one and only Barb Younger. She is a cabaret artist, has been uh, starting in London, and really has been touring all over the place, but mostly America the last few years, and specializing in the kind of music that not all cabaret people do. Um, when we think of cabaret performance and nightclub, we think of either people doing the American Songbook or show tunes and Rogers and Hart, Rogers and Hammerstein and Frank Lesser and those terrific people. But you know, it was always kind of a disconnect, especially back when I first started going to theater and cabaret and wanting to hear more of the people that I grew up listening to. I, I was listening to Randy Newman and Neil Young and Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones and Joni Mitchell and, and not hearing as much of that as I wanted to. So it's really great that Barb Younger has taken that mantle up. I mean, a lot more people uh, over the past few years have done that as well. But she really has made a, a real niche of singing that kind of music in a cabaret, somewhat jazzy sort of mode. And she's making a special specialty of Bob Dylan, especially in her last two albums, Every Grain of Sand and the recently released Man in the Long Black Coat. Barb Younger sings Bob Dylan, and, and she's also doing her show now at the Metropolitan Room through October 29th, that's on uh, West 22nd Street in New York. This is what a couple of the critics had to say about Barb Younger's current cabaret show. Uh, Frank Sheck, actually a good friend of mine who, who writes for the New York Post, wrote that Barb Younger's revelatory show 
at the Metropolitan Room provides stunning, deeply personal renditions of 13 Dylan classics in which every word shines with crystal clarity. And no less than the New York Times cabaret critic Stephen Holden wrote, Barb Younger, a fearless iconoclast who dives into the deepest waters of popular song to wrest exotic treasure from the ocean floor, delivering a fiery personal tutorial on Mr. Dillon. I mean, if, if Barb Younger's publicist sat down and tried to write a review, they couldn't do a better job than the folks from the New York Post and the New York Times. So I congratulate Barb Younger on these wonderful notices, and I welcome her to the neighborhood. Barb, are you with us? Thank you very much indeed. I'm really enjoying um, singing these songs here because I've been touring this particular collection for the last nine months in um, in Britain and um, in Northern Ireland and all around you know all around the UK uh, and I wondered how it would be to sing it here and somebody one of my one of my fans wrote to me and said taking Coles to Newcastle you know because I mean Dylan is American but people have been so fantastic um, I couldn't have imagined that people would so kindly and warmly respond to what I'm doing. Well, I mean, um, wasn't <laughs> Dylan did get his comeuppance in Manchester a little bit many, 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 many <laughs> years ago. It was a very long time ago. <laughs> so when did you discover Bob Dylan just as a, as a person before as a performer? Um, about singing Dylan because one of the reasons they've had a devil of a time putting Dylan on stage. In other words, you know, they've had good luck with ABBA songs and, and creating Mamma Mia and with some other artists, obviously the, um, well, the, the Jersey Boy folks, Frankie Valli and the, the Four Seasons. But with Dylan, so much of his material after 1965 is so personal and cryptic and... Um, it isn't pure narrative. It isn't very straightforward. Is that difficult, or does that unleash something else in you as a performer? Well, two things, really. Um, there's a complete difference between sticking a load of songs together and making a Broadway show. Mm. Um, which, you know, I mean, I have, I have great difficulty with all of those musicals. I just think that they're, 
I think that they're lazy, actually, is mm. what I think. I know that they're very successful, and I'm sure everybody involved with them is laughing all the way to the bank, but I can't think of ABBA in the same breath as Rogers and Hammerstein. You know, what the, what the purpose of the two pieces in, in that are doing is completely different. So to make a, whatever they're called, portmanteau musical out of Dylan's work seemed to me to be a mad idea to start with. That's the first thing. Secondly, mm-hmm. um, what, what, I, what I feel I try to do myself is to take the songs that I can sing, because I can't sing all of them, and... Um, work with the songs long enough that the songs find a way to sing in me that allows them to live in a in a truthful way in in my repertoire and, uh, and that's a very different thing well how can you tell when a song i mean every every kind of singer knows this but how do you decide when a song feels right and works for you and, and what would make a song not quite work for you, specifically with Dylan? Well, I can, I can use an example for that, Dave. Um, for example, you, you know the song Who Knows Where the Time Goes, which is a beautiful Sandy Denny song. Sure. I can't sing that song. I tried and tried and tried. I tried, I must have tried 20 different arrangements of that song. And every time I'd come to the end of it and I'd go, I'm not bringing anything new to this song. Hmm. And I knew that. Judy Collins and, and Eva Cassidy. Who've done brilliant arrangements of it. Yeah. And sing it perfectly well. And I think it's just a personal thing. It's, it's like an alchemy, and I don't know why it happens. I just think it's an alchemy that happens with you and the songwriter and the material and your voice and your capacity to, to be in, in a song. And some songs just don't sing for you. You know, they just don't. And it's got nothing to do with your wanting or not wanting to sing them. They just don't do it. Well, let me ask, Blind Willie McTell was the Bob Dylan song that kind of sparked Bob Dylan for you. What was the, the Bob Dylan song? Because you didn't put that on your first Dylan album. Uh, Every Grain of Sound, you waited. I know, I had sung that before, you see. I had sung that song with Durga Rising, which is a collaboration I did with Kuljeet Bamra. Um, an Anglo-Asian jazz fusion, which I always used to call half your audience because people who liked Bangra didn't like it and people <laughs> who liked jazz didn't like it either, although interestingly, that is now undergoing a resurgence. <laughs> Go figure. But um, I had sung it before, actually, so I didn't put it on the first oh. collection because I felt I'd already done it. And then when I came to make, um, I think, Walking in the... S- no, not Walking in the Sun. Um, yeah, maybe it was Walking in the Sun. Somebody I was working with said, why don't you do a different version of Blind Willie McTell? And that's when we worked on that, um, on that particular um, six-time version of it because I thought I could bring something different to it again. So I've, I've in fact, sung it twice. Well, I hate to, to have you uh, wait for four minutes, but I think it would be really appropriate if we now play Blind Willie McTell so everybody can hear your version of the song. So, so Barb Yoder, if you can just hang with us, let, let's do a demonstration. And here is Barb Yoder singing Blind Willie McTell. Seen the arrow on the doorpost Saying this land is condemned from New Orleans to Jerusalem. Well, 
I traveled through East Texas where many martyrs fell. And I know no one can sing the blues like Black Willie Mattel. Well, I heard the hoot owl singing as they were taking down the tents. The stars above the barren trees were his only audience. Them charcoal gypsy maidens can strut their feathers well, but I know no one can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. Them big plantations burning. Hear the cracking of the whips. Smell that sweet magnolia blooming. And see the ghosts of slavery ships. I can hear them tribes moaning. I can hear the undertaker's bell. And I know nobody can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. There's a woman by the river with some fine young handsome man. He's dressed up like a squire, got a bottle of bootleg whiskey in his hand. There's a chain gang on the highway. I can hear those rebels yell, and I know no one can sing the blues like blind well. Certainly a, a very, very different version of Blind Willie McTell than you would hear on uh, Bob Dylan's, well, it was a bootleg, unreleased recording thing. But, uh, wow, interesting stuff from Barb Younger from her 
new album, Man in the Long Black Coat, Barb Junger Sings, Bob Dylan. And you can hear Barb Junger singing Bob Dylan live and in the flesh this weekend and all through next week to next weekend at the Metropolitan Room, 34 West 22nd Street in Manhattan. You can also pick up Man in the Long Black Coat from Lynn Records and find out all about her at Barb Junger. Dot C-O dot U-K, and that's Junger, J-U-N-G-R. I am curious, is that, um, it's, it kind of looks Hungarian, but I don't know what... what it's Czech. It's Czech, Dave. Oh my gosh, so, so how many generations... I'm sorry, you're half Czech. My dad's Czech, my mother's German, so I'm first generation British. And um, they came over after the war. Mm-hmm. My dad, um, my dad died three years ago. We lost him three years ago. But um, my mum is still alive. And um, yeah, uh, I grew up in a I grew up in a European household. I always called myself a European. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm very happy to be British. Well, a, a European as opposed to an, an English woman, or or yeah. uh, right? Okay. Well, so I you, mean, you know, well. English to me means something very particular. And I, I come from England, but to be English is, to me, is to, you know, to have grown up in a certain kind of England and with certain kind of English sensibility. And I didn't. I grew up in a household that was full of whew, Europeans, you know. I mean, there, there was my family and all the people we knew. We, you, there were all people from after the war. Cause oh, I, yeah. I was born in 1954. So there were lots of people in the Northwest working in the mills who'd come over during and after the war for one reason or another. Austrian Jews, um, German Jews, uh, people from Poland and Lithuania and Ukraine. We didn't really... Irish people. We didn't know anybody who was English. (laughs) We knew people who were from somewhere else. Are are you... You're not Jewish, though, or or partially Jewish? My my grandfather's... um, My grandmother on my father's side was Jewish. Uh, that's why you got the hell out of Czechoslovakia, I guess. But um, well, they they were already kind of in in hiding on all that stuff. But um, but you know there is there is a there is a homeopathic trace, yes. So when you were growing up as a child in European England, what were the records that mm-hmm. you were listening to? Well, my mum and dad were um, very were, were because they because they were European. We went to the opera. Mm. Because, of course, in Europe, everybody goes to the opera. Opera isn't a class thing in in Europe, which it is in Britain, actually, um, or has been for a long time. And um, so we we went to the opera. We went to shows. We went to the cinema. I mean, my parents took me as soon as I could sit up on my own to everything they went to. So I saw loads and loads of stuff from being a tiny little tot. I saw singers and jugglers and performers and... Sometimes I say to my mum, it is your fault. If you'd never shown me any of this, I wouldn't have wanted to do it. Do you remember the first singer and or um, or theatrical performance that made a lasting impression on you when you were a tot? Well, I remember seeing a singer, and she was called Iana, Y-A-N-A. And it was, it was a touring variety show, and we'd gone into Manchester to see it. So I would have been about four or five, four... And Yana came on, and she was incredibly voluptuous and looked, I guess, a bit like Zsa Zsa Gabor. Yeah. And she had a sequined dress on, really tight, sequined long dress. She was, I mean, I'd never seen anything as glamorous as that in my entire consciousness. And, um, And she sang, 
and I remember that very clearly. I, I can imagine, and yet, and yet, in some ways, you you turn the tables because you do a more modern sort of music, and you don't kind of go with the glitz and the furs and the boas and and all that. I mean, it's, no. it's a much more stripped down. No, but I think it, I think it did have an impression on me. But I could sing from being a tiny little girl. I mean, my mum says that as soon as, like, when I was a little tiny, tiny baby. I was singing all the time. My dad said, I would sit you on my knee on the bus and you would never shut up. <laughs> you would just sing and sing and sing and sing. And actually, my experience of people who become singers, they all of them share that. They all of them sang from the very start, from the get-go. I could remember melody. I mean, I was musical, you know, just, you just think you could be, it's, it's I think you, I think it's you have it, you haven't, you know. Did you ever take uh, formal lessons in any kind of... Oh, yeah, because take... I learnt the violin. Oh. I played the violin for a long time, so I, I could read music, you know, I could do all that stuff. Um, and then, in, in a later point in my career, I did a lot of vocal training, and, and indeed, for, for some time, had a vocal practice coaching other people myself. Oh. And running choirs and stuff like that. So, I mean, I really have done lots of that kind of work, yeah. Well, actually, I, this is totally nothing to do with, with my audience. I, I'll, I'll ask the audience to, like, kind of bide their time for a minute or two. I have to ask you as a vocal coach, because I'm, I'm involved in a, a production that involves a one-person kind of show, um, screaming yeah. for, like, two and a half hours. Uh, any suggestions on, on basic, like, how do you get through a show where you've got to muster that voice for... a great period of time, night after night. Well, you've got to really make sure that you're supporting the voice correctly. You've got to make sure that you're opening the throat. You've got to make sure that you're not pressurizing the vocal folds in order to get the sound. You've got to be able to do it easily. So you know when you watch a person scream in the street, and if you watch a person scream in the street, quite often their neck is all bulging, and all the veins in their neck are bulging out, and, and their face is red, mm -hmm. and that's because they're using an enormous amount of effort to make that sound. You've got to learn to make the same sound with no effort at all. So partly you have to practice. I'd suggest you go and, go and get some training on how to do it, because there is a way of doing it. Um, and because babies do it, babies scream and scream and scream and scream and scream and it doesn't hurt them. Um, but it's just about relaxing when you're doing it. And it sounds like a kind of counterintuitive thing, yeah. actually, but it's possible. I remember seeing a play called Burn This and it required John Malkovich to run onto the stage screaming and shouting for the first 10 minutes of the play. And he was doing that nine times a week. Right. Um, but without any damage, you know, because he was doing it correctly. And because he's John Malkovich. But yeah, no, I mean, is it all from the, <laughs> is it all from the breath, though, or is it the way you plant your feet? Um, is, is that it's it too? Everything. It's yeah. all of those things. It's your planting of your feet, it's your holding of your mechanism, it's the way you're opening the throat, it's the way you're using the vocal folds, it's all of it. Huh. Okay, well, well, thank you. Now everybody can listen in again, <laughs> not, not just the people who are directly interested in, in vocal um, techniques and training. And we're talking with Barb Younger here on Dave's Gone By on this Saturday morning. Barb, of course, talking about singing because she specializes in all of this. So, so when you first started doing singing, were you doing more of the, the coffee shop sort of folk pop? Or did you really start with cabaret all the way through? 
Um, that's a really interesting question. No, I, I started as a pop artist, actually. I was a pop artist in Britain for a while. And then um, it would have been about 1970. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking about when I started singing professionally. Sure. Um, it would have been about 1978-ish. Uh, punk was happening in London, and the effect of punk was to create this thing which was called the alternative cabaret circuit, which bears no relation to what people think of as cabaret in terms of music here, but was about people who were trying to do things with a politically aware edge, and, um, and they were using every single possible performance art form in which to do it. And it was that that spawned the comedy circuit, actually. But on that circuit for about three years, I worked non-stop, seeing all this different work every night. You would work, you'd work five, six, seven nights a week. Sometimes you'd do two shows a night in different places. You were constantly on a bill, what you did 15, 20 minutes, and there would be six other people doing 15, 20 minutes, and they would be doing all kinds of things. And I just learned so much from that. I always think that, in a way, that was my university, actually, um, because uh, I learned so much from that. I learned how to talk to audiences, how to deal with stuff, how to be on a stage. I learned all of that in a way that was very organic. Um, then beyond that, uh, I became Younger and Parker. I worked with a man called Michael Parker for 12 years. And we sang festivals, folk clubs. We went all over the world with the British Council. I played in Cameroon and oh um, Malawi, Tanzania, the Yemen, Sri Lanka, Sudan. I played in all of those places. Um, and then I started to work on my own. Um, and about the same time, I did a master's in ethnomusicology, and um, and that, that somehow that clarified for me what I wanted to do next. And I started working with arrangers and arrangements, and kind of carved this little funny little furrow that I've been in ever since, which just ploughs forward, you know. Well, I, I would love to musical highway of life. Well, I, actually, I would love to hear some anecdotes or memories or, or thoughts on playing at, at places I know I will never go in my life. I mean, uh, Malawi and Tanzania and Cameroon, I, I don't see myself getting there in the near future. Any amazing moments or memories from those? Oh, my God, yes. I have so many. I have so many. Um, one, um, one particular... Um, concert in Tanzania was in an afternoon and it was right up um, right up beyond Mombasa um, and we were in this um, little town where they've got uh, like a little amphitheater um, tiny little town um, mm -hmm. and people came with their goats and chickens and sat in the audience with their animals and their children and food and uh, and so at certain points during the set some of the animals would wander around you on the stage it was hilarious <laughs> oh my that, and, that. and you just go with it right you you, you stroke the chicken uh, you, yeah, you, you, the, the cow. one of the reasons that the british council kept sending me was because i i, I really I, I wasn't a diva so I was really interested to go to these places, and I was really interested to work in places where other people point-blank refused to go. 
you know, mm. because largely because they thought that the hotel accommodation wasn't good enough, things like that. And I didn't really care about anything like that. I didn't care at all. I just wanted to experience. I mean, I knew I, when would I ever else get a chance to go into the Cameroonian bush? you know, in a way that was completely legitimized. And because I was a musician, people accepted me. You know, they didn't think of me as a white woman. They thought of me as a musician. So I was invited into people's houses. I was invited to see ritual dances. I mean, I was invited to see things. You could live in Malawi all your life and not go to a Chichewan Gulawam Kulu festival, but I, I, but I was invited. Well, actually, we, we had a... Uh... A genuine Gulawam Chewing Festival here last week. Go figure. You know, you know right, right on the... No, I'm kidding. I'm, I went for a joke there, but it just completely died because I, 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 couldn't, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't pronounce it. I liked, I liked the way you were driving then. I, I try, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. By the way, we are driving into 11 a.m. here at the University of Northern Colorado. You're listening to Dave's Gone By on uncradio.com, also on Channel 3 on your dorm room TVs if you happen to be at the university. Dave's Gone By. You can find out more about us at davesgoneby.com. You can also drop me an email if you want to ask Barb Younger a question. I can check my email, davesgoneby at aol.com. Barb is going to stay with us a little while, a little while longer, I hope, yes? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Great, great. So... Yes, we're talking to Barb about her amazing experiences traveling and performing. Did you ever have any scary experiences or, or times when the audience was just, you know, you, you almost walked off the stage because they weren't paying attention or something? Oh, no, no, no. No, not, not, not in this, but I did have a scary experience in Cameroon one evening. Um, I mean, I've been told that after a certain point at night, the streets are, you know, the streets are owned by whoever's patrolling them. Mm. And, um, uh, and we had been taken out, uh, my, my colleague and I, Michael Parker, who is a guitarist, we'd been taken out to a place um, where you could have um, chi eat chicken and basically kind of equivalent of a restaurant. But it was right out in the middle of nowhere by, by the sea. And in order to get to it, you had to take this little lane. And there's a lot of illegal petrol um, being brought in from Nigeria to Cameroon on tiny little boats. And uh, the government had tried to close the illegal, and it was coming into this little bay, which we had to go past. The government had tried to close down this trade. So they'd sent in a tank with a guy in it, and the petrol pirates had burned the tank with the guy in it and mm. left it there with the guy's body sticking out of it, charred body, to warn people not to try and stop this trade. So we had to drive past this body stuck out of a tank and um, on our way to a restaurant, can't make it up. And uh, uh, there, was, there were all the pirates were there, and the pirates, you know, they look like pirates. And um, I don't mean they look like Johnny Depp. Right. I mean, they look, you know, rugged, and they've got big guns and, um, you know, lots of bullets around their necks and stuff like that. And they came and looked in the car window. They passed us on. They, did a, they knew we weren't going to, we weren't interested in the petrol. They were not interested in us. And that was quite scary. But on the way home, yeah. we were stopped by some renegade, uniformed people. Um, this was in the city. And they stopped the car and they said, um, right, we want something. And by this time, we were just being taken home. So there was the driver and me and Michael in the back of the car. 
Yeah. And we didn't have any money or anything because we'd been taken out. And, and I was told, don't carry your passport, don't carry anything, you know, just be safe. So we didn't have anything on us that was of any worth at all. And um, they said, go, get out of the car, you know, and I thought, oh, we're in trouble, we're going to be in trouble here. Because there, I, how can I contact anybody, you know, didn't have phone or anything. Sure. Um, they said, uh, okay, we want something. They meant a bribe, you know. We want something or we're going to have to take you in. And I thought, oh, dear me. So, and, and suddenly, out of nowhere, I remembered that I'd been on the television in Cameroon. So I said to them, you know, you know who I am. I've been on Tam Tam Weekend. And they said, Tam Tam Weekend? And I said, yes, you know Tam Tam Weekend. I, I, I was singing there today and I started to sing the song. And they started laughing. They go, Tam Tam Weekend, they go, have you got cassette? Mm. And I had a cassette, you see, in my bag. And I said, yeah, and I gave them a cassette and they let us go. Oh, my God. But see, I, I, yeah. it's, a, it's a happy, wonderful story, but I would have been on the first flight out of that miserable country. <laughs> and, and I would have been, been like all your colleagues who said, no, 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 you know, not just the hotels. I'm not playing these places. No. You know. Oh, it was absolutely great. It's been, you know, in your life's journey, I can't tell you my debt of gratitude to have been able to go to those places. I guess. I mean, and you still travel. I mean, what are, I, I assume now you travel to more um, conducive uh, cities around the oh, world. I don't know, you see, because I was in Australia last year, and um, actually it wasn't last year that this happened, but the year before that I was in Australia, and I was just walking back on a free day. I had a free day, and I'd gone to the beach. And as I was walking back, I heard this rustling noise at my feet, and I'm not kidding you, I saw the biggest snake I've oh. ever seen in the wild just zipping past me to go over a fence and disappear into the undergrowth. Um, I mean, Australia's alive. <laughs> I never saw anything like that in Africa. Huh. Well, well lucky you, I guess. And, and I mean, it's just, I guess, Maybe your, your philosophy is when it's your time, it'll be your time, and until then, you just have to go wherever uh, life takes you and, and to go for that adventure. Um, as well, do you? Do you have? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would just well look at you. You know, you're you're living in Colorado now. You you said yes to that. You know, I mean, you 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 you're offered things, and I think, I think if you reject things, you reject them at your peril because you may never get that opportunity again. I mean, not obviously if it's an utterly stupid thing, right? right. But if it's something that's interesting or you could learn from it, my gosh, my my. Yeah, my philosophy is to say yes as often as possible. I, and I guess when you're a creative person, it's almost more important to be able to do that um, because it, it all contributes to the experience and then the way you transmute that backward into art or something like that. Yeah. I, 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 well, that yeah, wasn't a joke. I, I was trying to go for something profound there. I got halfway there. Not too bad. <laughs> That's better than I no, usually no, I, do. I, I, I think you're absolutely right, actually. Do you have um, yeah, pers right. yeah, personal question or, or family, kids, any of that sort of thing? Um, I know I, I have um, I have a mum who's still alive, right. and I have um, I'm the guardian of my uh, nephew after his dad because my sister, uh, well, I've, I've lost both my sisters, and one of my sisters left a, a small child, oh. and um, and his dad. So I'm. I'm very much in their family, so I kind of think that the universe said, oh, you think you're not going to have any children? Well, take this. <laughs> so I've got an eight-year-old nephew now that I have a very um, 
strong and personal relationship with because I have to, because if anything happens to his dad, I'm on the firing line, you know. So, um, yeah, so that's what I've got. Well, that's, that's can, can I ask, I mean, uh, you, you've lost a parent, but losing sisters, I mean, how do you get through that? Well, it, it's, um, I mean, I, 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 I could, it was horrible to lose one sibling, and I lost both my younger sisters. Um, it was horrible to lose my first sibling. Um, when my second sister died, I really did. I, I, I just, I, I just looked at the heavens, and I went, I don't understand this anymore. I don't understand. Were they ill, or was it natural, or, or what? Why? Well, um, my my sister Christina died in two thousand. She had multiple sclerosis, and she died in my arms. Um, she choked uh, because you know when you when you have multiple sclerosis at that level, that's generally speaking what happens. And it was really, really horrible. Um, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I wouldn't wish the experience I had or the experience she had on anyone. Um, my other sister died very suddenly. She had a heart attack in the street and died. So Christina died aged 38, and my other sister died aged 44. Oh, my God. Um, um, well, I'm, I'm sorry. And you're, thank God, you're healthy? You're okay? Uh, I'm brilliant, thank you very much. I'm <laughs> very hale at party. I shall, I shall live to 100. I always know that. Oh, oh from I'm your mouth to know. God's ears. That'd be wonderful. I, I'm not living. I'm, I'll hope to make it to 80. That would be nice. Yeah. With, with my rage problem, I'll, no, I'll probably I'm, make it to I'm, 71. Yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm here for the long haul, you know. Can I ask, um, but, um, getting yeah. back to the, you know, I, I didn't realize that we would go to such a, a dark, dark place, but um, getting back to the music, um, yes. I can't believe I haven't asked this yet. Have you ever met Bob Dylan? <laughs> um, no, I haven't, but I've had a huge amount of kind help and support from his management team, and just recently they asked for some albums to send to him. Oh, cool. Do would you want to, or would that almost be like you'd be afraid to be either disappointed or you wouldn't know what to say? Your, your thoughts oh, on I, that? I can't imagine one wouldn't know what to say, hmm. but the difficulty, of course, is always that you know somebody through their work, you don't know them. Right. You know, and if you, if you are around lots of people who've achieved great fame, and I, I know people in Britain who've achieved great fame, then, you know, you're always aware that there's a very difference, there's a very great difference between a public and a private person. So I have no idea who Bob Dylan is outside of his m music and songs. Um, so I have no idea whether, you know, I'd like him or he would like me or we would have anything worthwhile to contribute to each other's being. But what I would like to be able to do is to say personally, how wonderful I think his work is. And I hope that if he listens to what I do with his work, he would know that without my having to. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what we all kind of hope for, that just that moment to say, thank you. I don't want to bother you. I don't want to, I just want to say thank you. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and please live, live another 150 years or something like that. You know, that, that'd be about... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah, precisely. I mean, I really do think that Dylan's work is somewhere else. I don't think anything compares to it. I'm talking about in terms of songwriting in our tradition, you know? Um, I don't think there's anything that's comparable to it. Well, let's hear... In terms, uh, of, it, sorry. In terms of its legacy and its profound depth and its 
um, subtle understanding of the human condition. And I think it must be very, very hard to live with that level of insight. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a Gore Vidal um, level of insight. It's a Pinta level of insight into the human condition. Wow. Here I was trying to be profound, and you just nailed it right on the head. Thank you, Barb Younger. Let's let's hear a little bit more of Barb singing before we, we close our interview with her. That has just been so, so fascinating and ranged through so many things. Um, you know, I was going to play Man in the Long Black Coat, which is the title track of your new record, but uh, but you can pick one if you prefer. Is, is there a song yeah, that... I love that. I'm, I'm happy if you play that. Oh, okay, well, we're happy, too. Man in the Long Black Coat from Barb Younger, and we'll be right back with her after this song. Long black coat 
Title track of Barb Younger's latest CD, Bob Dylan's Man in the Long Black Coat. And yeah, the, you know, Bob Dylan is also, or was, one of the greatest singers in the history of rock and roll. But he, he, he couldn't sing like that. He, he couldn't get that kind of beauty out of his pipes, even in like the, the um, desire days or, or you know, the, the great days of the, the 1960s. You need a Barb Younger for that. So, Barb, it, it's been absolutely delightful talking with you and, and one of the things we said while the mics were off is that your next thing is going to be exploring those really like major rock and roll years of 65 66 of you know the blonde on blondish era is that your next treasure trove to, yeah, to crack I'm, I'm interested in that and i'm interested in now his most recent output so i've got sort of two two explorations going at the same time um yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at all of those. And do you, um, I mean, do you see another pure Dylan album coming out, out of you, or are you going to mix them up, or, or do you need to sometimes put Dylan aside and do other stuff? I think I'd probably mix them up for the next one, but I think another pure Dylan album may come eventually, because I, I do think that I, I just love it. I love it. I love I love his work. I love it. I can't I can't really express it any other way. Well, and and you did mention and um, not to give out your particulars, but you also mentioned one of the cool things is because you're such a, a Dylanologist in a way that uh, fans and people always send you um, extra special rare bootlegs of stuff, and, and that's also a learning curve as well. So if people want to want to, really is. I mean, I've yeah. been so lucky with people doing that, but and people come and tell me stories. Last night, somebody came up and said. My best friend married Joan Baez, um, and uh, the, the marriage didn't last, but I just wanted to tell you that. You know, I mean, people come and tell you the wow. most fantastic things. Wait, was, was the best friend married to David, the guy who was in prison for the war, or was this a later marriage? Um, no, I, I think, uh, was, was da what was David's surname? Oh, was it Harris, I think, or something like yeah, that? that was the one, yeah, yeah. He was Dave Harris' best friend. Oh, my God. Well, how's Dave Harris doing? Is he still with us? Um, I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. Huh. Oh, my gosh. Haven't heard that name in, in ages and ages. Huh. And then what other great Dylan stories have you been told that we might not know? Um, well, I was told a lovely story by a man in Ireland who had really, really wanted to tell Dylan how great he was. And um, he came out of a concert and he was just walking home, and as he was walking home, 
he passed this man standing by the side of a car and it, down a side street, and there was nobody else around, and it was Dylan. And he said, well, excuse me, I just wanted to say, you know, how wonderful that concert was. And Dylan was really nice to him and signed some things and shook his hand and... And this man came away, and, and he's treasured that moment forever. Well, who wouldn't? I mean, yes, certainly. I mean, and it's always I always like to hear nice stories like that. That 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 thing of of what we were talking about before of being able to go to your idol and say, "Not going to bother you. Thank you. Please sign this and bless you." And, and the idol being totally cool and gracious about it. But it's also yeah. I've heard a lot of things about Dylan just kind of going off wandering on his own. There was a story in the newspapers a few months ago that he was almost arrested like he was they thought he was a vagrant <laughs> he was in some country or some city and he was just kind of wandering with his little hoodie unrecognizable and the police didn't recognize him until they got to the station so they put him in, in their patrol car he was just sort of wandering around like a, a desiccated part of the city and um, and then there was you know you know who you have in your patrol car don't you <laughs> and they felt really sheepish about it um, oh, bless them. <laughs> just, just hysterical. But anyway, Barb Younger, please go see her at the Metropolitan Room, 34 West 22nd Street. She's playing there through October 29th, so you have another week. So, um, 212-206-0440 is the phone number for tickets. Her most recent album is Man in the Long Black Coat. Uh, she also has an album called Every Grain of Sand. Those are the two Dylan albums. She also has well, uh, close to a dozen other records at this point, right? Um, they're, yeah, they're, and they're all available on Amazon US. Great, Amazon.com. Amazon US, you know, the US Amazon, you can get sure. everything. Right, and also you can find out about all these things at barbjunger.co.uk. So it's B-A-R-B-J-U-N-G-R. There's no E in there. It's barbjungr.co. UK. Well, um, Barb, what is what is the direct next thing that I, I think you mentioned? You're after New York. You're going to where? Um, L.A. to Catalina Bar and Grill. Uh huh. And then, oh, which is a jazz club in Hollywood, and then to Austin. Austin is it part of a festival there? Or are you playing at a particular club? I'm playing at Austin Cabaret Theatre. Lovely. Love. That. I wish there was a place in Greeley that was uh, <laughs> that would be appropriate for you to play. I, I, I'm, you know, there's a coffee shop here, but it's a little on the tiny side, and then the other places are more for rock and roll. But let's let's get Barb Younger to Colorado because we need to hear this I'd music. I'd love to come to Colorado. Let's do that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it has been an absolute delight and pleasure hearing Thank your music so and much. talking it's to you. A, it's been a pleasure talking to you too. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. And Barb, may you stay. <laughs> Forever Young. Oh, Forever Young. Thank you. May God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others and let others do for you. May you build a ladder to the stars and climb. You grow. 
some Bert Jansch there here on Dave's Gone By. Come sing me a happy song. Uh, to prove we can all get along the lumpy, bumpy, long, and dusty road. That is actually the full title. Uh, the title is actually longer than that song from the late Bert Jansch. We're uh, going to do, don't have that much time to do it, but we're going to do a little bit of a Saturday segue here on Dave's Gone By in honor of two of the music people that we lost over the past couple of weeks while I was on vacation from this program. There'll be Bert Jansch and uh, Indian composer and singer Jagjit Singh. But before we get to that segue, I do have to do, I forgot about this, a little bit of business to tell you why and how we are here in the neighborhood every Saturday morning from 10 until 1. It is by the good grace of our sponsors, Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway, owned and operated by the Toron family since the mid-1970s. Hewlett Minuteman Press is the place to go for all your copying, binding, printing needs. If you want to put your company's logo on a calendar or a mug or a pen, they're the folks to do it. If you need uh, things bound for presentations, if you just need regular copies, color or black and white, or both, Hewlett Minuteman Press, no job too big or too small, and they do it well in a reasonable amount of time and for a reasonable sum, which is what it is all about. They've been our sponsor since the very beginning, and even though I don't live in New York anymore, I still use them for some of my copy jobs, and, and not just because, you know, I'm, I'm, they're advertisers, so I, I get <laughs> big of a sweetheart deal. But, um, hey, everybody gets a sweetheart deal at Minuteman Press if you mention... Dave's gone by because you get 10% off any job, big or small. They're right in the heart of Hewlett, opposite the Lomans in downtown Hewlett, New York. So check them out, Minuteman Press. And I think I even have their phone number. They might still be open uh, for another hour or two today. They're at 516-569-5577. 516-569-5577. Minuteman Press, they are the Copy Kings. This program is also brought to you by TotalTheater.com, which has just undergone an amazing renovation. Is that the word? A, a revamp, a remodel. Uh, it's still as fast as it has been for the past few years. It's just uh, a little easier to navigate. Uh, we can do a lot more stuff with it. And what TotalTheater.com is all about is reviews and articles about the theater. It's absolutely free. You can just go on there and surf to your heart's content. So if you want to read reviews of the latest Broadway shows, like the, the new Frank Langella show, Man and Boy, that the Roundabout Theater is doing, go to TotalTheater.com. It'll be right there. You can search for it. There's also a list of the most recent shows. And there's not just reviews, but feature stories about the American and the international theater. So you can read stories and articles and reviews of theater going on everywhere from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to uh, Los Angeles, to Rochester, New York, to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival a couple of weeks ago. It's all there. Absolutely free. TotalTheater.com. Do check it out. And that is also now the gateway to all these different things, to Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944. This is a hard copy journal that tells you every little bit of information in detail on what's going on on the stages of New York, Broadway, 
off-Broadway, off-off. Listings for cabaret, opera, dance, events, and awards. It's in the pages of Performing Arts Insider. Check out performingartsinsider.com. You'll want to subscribe. And it's really cool, even in this day and age, to go in your mailbox and get a nice hard copy magazine that you can read on the train, over breakfast, on the toygy, where, wherever you need. Most of the readers for this actually read it at their desks and use it for their work. Uh, the kinds of folks who subscribe to Performing Arts Insider are bookers for uh, TV shows and radio shows. They want to know, hey, what big important celebrity is going to be on Broadway in half a year? How do I get in touch with them? How do I find a designer or a manager or a press agent handling an off-Broadway show? It's all in those pages, performingartsinsider.com. And let's see, well, as I said, the gateway to both Performing Arts Insider, as well as this program, davesgoneby.com, and some of the stuff that Rabbi Saul Solomon is doing. He'll be here in a few minutes um, to do his rabbinical reflection. All of that, you can go right through togeltheater.com and start surfing around. So please do that. I want to give a shout-out to Jeff Goodman, who was uh, a co-host of this program for a couple of years back in New York. Jeff is, thank God, knock wood, doing really, really well these days, um, both physically with his health. He's also, uh, last I heard, on vacation in Thailand for a couple of weeks until mid-November. So I hope he's having a wonderful time. But when Jeff gets back, get in touch with him if you have a party in the tri-state area because he is um, the proprietor of Fancy Schmancy Balloons. And it's not just balloons. He can make your party look really special with centerpieces and themes, be it anything from the New York Yankees to music to baseball to Seinfeld, whatever you want. Jeff can make your party look terrific at Fancy Schmancy Balloons. Shouldn't your party be a fancy schmancy one? The number is, let me see if I remember this because I don't have it written down, 516-55... Oh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd forgotten. I used to know it by heart. Uh, five, six, nine. No, that's, that's Minuteman Press. I'll, I'll look it up. Anyway, Jeff Goodman. <laughs> fancy schmancy balloon. Shouldn't your party be a fancy schmancy one? I'm sorry, Jeff. I'll make that up to you. Also, let's do really quickly the sponsors for this radio station. So, those include the Marquee Magazine, live for live music. Programming is supported by Marquee Magazine, an independent Colorado magazine covering the regional live music scene in print and online. It has the region's most thorough concert calendar designed for music freaks by music freaks. Check out marqueemag.com, M-A-R-Q-U-E-E-M-A-G.com. The Marquee, live for live music. Programming on UNC Radio is also brought to you by AF Rays. Head on down for some awesome shows on Halloween weekend. AF Rays right in uh, the heart of downtown Greeley, Colorado. And let's see, we um, what are they doing? They're 
October 28th. This Friday, it's a free show with a family band featuring Bang Poo. Oh my God, the amazing Bang Poo and members from Pink Paisley. So if you want to get pooed on, ladies and gentlemen, this Friday, and it'll be two-for-one drink specials and a costume contest, uh, the winner getting a $100 bar tab. So you can really get wasted and covered in poo this Friday, October 28th at AF Rays. And then on Saturday, a heavy metal show with another costume contest. Again, $100 bar tab is the grand prize and spooky specials all night long. It'll be a great Halloween weekend at AF Rays. Go check it out. And speaking of Halloween and all things creepy and morbid, come out to the Greeley Mall um, to face your fears starting October 29th. I imagine, actually they may have meant September 29th because this has been going on for a while, but, but at least, the very least it'll be Thursday through Halloween. Face your fears. Don't waste your time going through a boring corn maze. Come to the scariest haunted house in northern Colorado. Open Wednesdays through Saturdays from 8 to midnight. And if you hate lines, then use the UNC student radio promo code UNCSR and order online. MorbidNightsColorado.com MorbidNightsColorado.com. The regular price is $15. So uh, you take, you, you get the uh, discount if you use UNCSR, and it's only $11.50. Can you face your fears? Morbid Nights, Colorado, fear of all fears with a southern twist. And finally, just got to let you know of a few people who are going to be playing in the area. You've got Carl Denson's Tiny Universe is playing, uh, oh, they're doing the Rolling Stone Sticky Fingers album with special guest Rose Hill Drive performing the Who's Who's Next and an opening set by Anders Osborne. All of that Monday, October 31st at the Fillmore Auditorium. Interesting way to spend Halloween. Then Jeremy uh, with Ali Pierre, Rocky, and Dre Lane at the Gothic Theater on November 2nd in Denver. Also at the Fillmore in Denver, November 12th, Tech Nine, American rapper from Kansas City, and VNV Nation with Strantans at the Summit Summit Music Hall, Saturday, November 26th. Their uh, VNV Nation is a British-Irish electronic music band, and it stands for Victory, Not Vengeance. Kind of cool. And finally, Vices I Admire are doing a CD release party at the Bluebird Theater, December 9th at 8.30. Opening for them are Take to the Oars, Genre Theory, and Microdots. Wow, okay, got the um, all the sponsors out of the way. Time to do a little bit of a Saturday segue. We'll, we'll do a bit more later on if there's time. But let's hear a little more. Bert Jansch. Bert Jansch uh, passed away on October 5th of cancer. He was only 67 years old. Born on November 3rd, 1943. Best known, well... Kind of two things. He had the solo work. He was also a member of Pentangle from 1968 to 1972 with John Renborn and female singer Jackie McShee. Jansch won two BBC Lifetime Achievement Awards and, um, you might, maybe you know, know his music directly, but he influenced everyone from Donovan to uh, Beth Orton and Devendra Banhart. He played with the two of them. He was admired by Paul Simon. If uh, you hear one of those early Simon and Garfunkel albums, they do that song Angie. Well, that was based on the Sally Angie, 
which uh, Jang had one on one had on one of his albums, and most famously, he had a tune called Black Waterside. Uh, it was a traditional tune that he arranged, and that influenced Led Zeppelin's back. What is it? Black Mountainside, something like that. And Jang would have sued. Led Zeppelin for uh, plagiarism for copyright infringement, <laughs> but he couldn't afford to do it. And um, anyway, Jang kicked the alcohol problem in 1987, and that certainly bought him 17 more years until his passing just uh, two weeks ago. So here is a little more burnt Jang with oh, perfect timing just after uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Jewish holidays, the bright new year. Hello, Mother dear, I hope you are well and happy today. I do love you and think of you each single day. I dream of seeing you happy. In summer time, I thought that I would be able to see you again. I do love you and think of you. Each single day I dream of seeing you happy. Die da 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 As the bright new year draws closer now I'm on my way to bring you my love and wish you good cheer Mother dear I hope you are well and happy today I do love you and think of you each single day I dream of seeing you happy
I wish I had a photograph to let you see the way you smile upon my foolish heart. The words I do not know enough. I hope that you will find my song a pleasing to your ear. You step. Beneath the midnight moon, to gather dewdrops for the sun, awaiting until morn. Oh, if I was a branched tree, I'd be the oak tree, fast and strong, to win your gentle heart. And if I was one grain of corn, I'd wait till you. It come along and throw me to the wind. And if I was one silk on thread embroidered all in cherry red upon your breast, I'd love. And if I was the older tree, I'd burning fiercely over thee. I love would surely last, and if I was a hawthorn bush and you the shelter under me, I would not do you harm. And if I was one glass of wine, one sip from you would give me time to take you by the hand. Across the hills we'd go in search of what no one does know, except both you and I. You, I like, so let me tip my hat. Your path, I spread my welcome mat. You, I like. Can you imagine that? Although your ways may be strange, and there's much that I change, somehow you, I like and warmly recommend. From now on, we call each other friend. I'll be at your side until the end. Can you believe that I found such a thrill in the sound of a new chord we strike? You, I like. <laughs> well, what's not to like, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, we have another cabaret artiste, also an actor. <clears throat> excuse me, in the neighborhood with us this fine Saturday morning, and um, and we, we made such an impression. On this man, this is absolutely hysterical. I must be somewhat invisible because, first of all, um, this man was on our radio show four years ago. He didn't even remember. <laughs> he spent like forty-five minutes on the show. Didn't even remember a moment of it. And I just had to remind him, you know, off the air. And at that time, four years ago, he had not remembered that I was running the box office for a show that he was in way back before he was famous as he is now, uh, a show called Olympus on My Mind. So now I'm going to remind him once again, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Gra is with us. Oh, 
And and Jason, do you feel humbly ashamed now? Wow, I feel so big for my britches that I can't possibly remember all the all the minutia of my life, Dave. <laughs> Oh, I'm so... Uh, <laughs> all the little people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I am. I'm minutia, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I would just like to say, in my defense of, yeah. of uh, my brain fart, that's what comes from too much pills and liquor. There you go. Wait, what song? That's what comes... Oh, it's from Cabaret. That's not a Jerry Herman show. Too much pills and liquor. I, I so remember you from Olympus on my mind. And, uh... I do remember talking about Olympus on my mind on your radio show last time. I have to tell you, I'm in the country right now. I'm upstate New York. Ooh. And I, I, I came out here to uh, stay at uh, my director of my show, Lee Tannen's uh, beautiful country house right on the Hudson River. And I'm a complete potato head right now. It's been so beautiful. I'm just like totally in vacation mode. So, um you know, you're, you've really gotten me uh, kind of vulnerable right now. Oh, well, well but, but wait a minute. If you're in complete vacation mode, aren't you appearing as we speak? I mean, do you have to be in New York City tonight? I've got a little break. Uh, uh, we, we've done two shows already of Perfect Harmony. Right. Um, the songs of Jerry Herman. Uh, we did it Monday and Tuesday at the Lori... Uh, sorry, last Tuesday and Wednesday at the Lori Beachman Theater on 42nd and 9th. And then we have two more shows coming up this week, uh, Monday and Tuesday nights. Oh, okay. I, so I, a little break. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you get to to be in the country and away from the uh, the zaniness of New York, um, which I know you must love. Are, are you still a New Yorker at heart, or are you on the West Coast? Is mainly your home. I am in the I, I the West Coast now, and I am still a New Yorker at heart. Fair enough. So, is there enough work for what you do, living on the coast? Is it because you travel and tour all the time? Or, yeah, I spend a lot of time on the road so that I can afford the house that I uh, own in Hollywood. A house so, in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah, I live under the Hollywood sign, Dave. I live <laughs> under the hoe of the Hollywood sign. <laughs> well, I've, I've lived under my share of hoes before, but no, no, I don't know what, what that means. <laughs> Thank you. It was your joke. <laughs> it was your joke. I was just building on it. Um, uh, but, but... <laughs> So, uh, is is most of your career, I mean, you're doing, I know you do a little bit of uh, acting, you were in Six Feet Under, I remember being shocked, I was suddenly like, oh my gosh, there's Jason Grah, but mostly it's it's live performance still, am I right? Uh, yeah, but I, you know, I moved out to Los Angeles uh, like 13 years ago to do Forbidden Hollywood, and then and then I was primarily doing television out there, and then you know the whole thing kind of changed with the reality shows coming in and the writer strike and all that kind of stuff, and so the uh, TV climate is a little different. It's starting to come around again, but uh, I that's when I started you know doing my one man show and and doing a lot of operas, strangely enough, and. Uh, and I do a lot of theater, and you know, so I, I travel a lot. I come back here a lot. I'm a prostitute. I go wherever they pay me. <laughs> that, 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 that's good to know. And and uh, your call uh, button number is in case people want to. Because uh... <laughs> Jason is an extremely charming fellow. I mean, I'm I'm as it happens, I'm straight. But if I were not, you know, Jason is one of the first people I would call as far as hey, you know, I'm 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 ready to turn. Uh, not wow, not happening. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And But it's that level of insouciance and charm that has made Jason Grah... <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not building to a joke here. This is the truth. This is... Um, here, here, this is what 
Brian Scott Lipton, uh, also a friend of mine, actually, who wrote about perfect harmony um, at the Lori Beachman Theater. Quote, Armed with the timing of an expert stand-up comic, a delicious array of facial expressions, and the uncanny, the, excuse me, the uncanny ability to engage the audience as conspirators, oh, sorry, I've been talking all morning, the uncanny ability to engage the audience as conspirators in his tomfoolery, Gras often leaves spectators in stitches. How's that for a wow. review? Wow, how about that? Brian Scott Lipton, eh? Yeah, yeah, I know him. He's, he's, I, I think he's Theater Mania now, but I know He's him. Theater Mania, yeah, I got that review. I love Brian. I've well, always sure. admired him as a writer, and I really admire his taste in well, performers. See, him you remember. Me! <laughs> you have to have your memory, John. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you, I remember you. Yes, that was really fun. Uh, we, we're really having a complete ball to um, segue back over to my show at the Lori Beachman. Um, we, we really, it's so much fun. And you know, it's Jerry Herman, so you can't go wrong singing those songs. Everybody loves hearing some Jerry Herman show tunes, especially here in New York. And um, it's been just great. It's been so fun to, to celebrate him. And you know, it's his 80th birthday this year. Mazel tov, mazel tov. And, and who knew, like 20 years ago, uh, considering his health condition. I mean, you know, that, that was back when, you know what, was a death sentence, pretty much. And right. instead, here he is, here Larry Kramer. I mean, go figure. How amazing. No, it's really, it's so amazing. It's, it's truly amazing. And he's so strong at 80, you know. And he's, you know, he's like shorter than me. You know, he's a little guy, and yeah. uh, but God, he's a pistol, and his his enthusiasm and his exuberance, you know, it's just it's contagious. So he's a he's an amazing force of nature. But how how did you go from being well, uh, not to to be negative, but but being quote just another cabaret singer who, like every cabaret singer, does a Jerry Herman song or two, to being a specialist and also uh, I, I would say a friend of Jerry Herman. It's wild, isn't it? Well, how did it happen? You know, I like that. Well, I, I, it was really thanks to uh, Michael Kirker and ASCAP. Um, they put together a, a show called Hello, Jerry, and we traveled around the country. It was uh, Jerry and Don Pippen, you know, his longtime musical director, and uh, Karen Morrow, the fabulous Karen Morrow, and uh, Paige O'Hara, Paige and Susan Egan oh. kind of alternated, and, and myself. And we did this show. We went to about 20 cities. We went all over the country, and we were performed this fabulous show called Hello, Jerry. And Jerry came out, and he played, and he sang Mame. He played for us, and he would tell stories, and we'd all... It was just like this really fun review. And... Um, and so I got to really know him well during that time and uh, and loved him. You know, he just couldn't be more supportive of, of singer singing his material. And, you know, he just, he loves hearing his stuff song. Who wouldn't? Right. Yeah, cool. song. Huh. <laughs> but it, it, it was such a ball. And so that really started this relationship. And then he kind of, uh, you know, he got a little worn out from the life on the road and didn't feel like going to all those places and stuff. So I thought, well, damn it. I missed the paycheck, so that I started putting a show of my own together. So I thought, and now he's, you know, he's such hot stuff. He just got the Kennedy Center honor and and uh, his 80th birthday. So I thought, I'll ride his coattails, damn it. And uh, so, and I have some good stories about working with him. And uh, you know, I did the grand tour that he put together in Los Angeles. 
and uh, I, I've gotten to do quite a few uh, different events with him. So, well, 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 I, well, uh, well let's. I mean, just to whet people's appetite, share us a story of um, working with Jerry Herman, and, and then people can see others hear and see other stories when they come to see you at the Beachman Theater. So, give it, you know, give us a taste. <laughs> Well, I uh, I tell the whole story about where I first met him, which was uh, when I auditioned for Hello Dolly for the National Tour of Hello Dolly, and uh, that uh, that was uh, wait the original. The I, I, I'm sorry. What, what, are we talking the original original Hello Dolly? From from I'm not quite that old. Dude, yeah, but no. Thanks anyway. No, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, no. Which yes, it was it was for the it was for the role of Irene Malloy's adopted baby. <laughs> Um. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the role of Irene Malloy. Then I'd be really uh, kind of, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm not that versatile. I th- <laughs> but uh, but my ribbons down my back is it's one of the best songs <laughs> in the show. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, the first time I, it was for the 1983 national tour ah, of Hello Dolly, starring okay. Carol Channing. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first time that I met him. And so, you know, I kind of talk about our journey together. And um, and then when we finally got to meet up, um, you know, uh, when we started doing the, the show, the first time that I ever sang for Jerry was it was for a, a concert of his at UCLA. And uh, I was singing Just Go to the Movies with K.T. Sullivan. And I was Jerry was sitting, you know, two feet away from me. As I was, and it's a list song, you know, like Just Go to the Movies. So it's nerve wracking. So uh, we were getting through it. And I, I was ready to, you know, pee on the floor. I was so beside myself with excitement that he was there. And he was so supportive and so generous afterwards. And honest to God, he, he just makes you feel so comfortable singing his stuff. And all composers don't do that. Some, some you know, are, are nervous wreck. But he's so nurturing and so um, very, very encouraging uh, for singers singing his material. And so has he ever I love to- performing with him. Have, has he ever told you why, apart from, say, Mrs. Santa Claus, he really hasn't um, contributed that much new material in the last, like, 30 years? Well, tw- uh, 20 years. Well, you know, he wrote the Miss Spectacular, which he's Oh, Miss Spectacular. On. Right, right, right. That's yes. it. Yes. And they did the concept album of that. And there are some great songs in Miss Spectacular. Oh, my God. Um, you know, he, he got caught up in, you know, I mean, I think, I, I think he had to start taking care of his health, you know. And oh, yeah. So that, yeah. that kind of, uh, took him out of things for a while. But, but, you know, the, um, the Miss Spectacular is this wonderful concept album that they're trying to do as a theater piece, and that's that's taken a while. And I, I hope that they'll do something with it because, again, it's all Jerry Herman songs, and right, he yeah. doesn't know how to write anything but a great song, you know. So, uh, and now he's just everything, you know. It's just he he just seems to be in the air, and there his stuff is also current and fun and coming back, and everybody's talking about these revivals of Hello Dolly and Mame and. All these things. So, you know, uh, hopefully there's there's more there's more to come. Hey, wh- what is your favorite Jerry Herman song, Jason Graw? <laughs> well, Dave, <laughs> I would say I have to say that. Oh God, that's a tough question. I would say. Well, wait, 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 tell you tell you what, I'll, I'll split the question in half. What is your favorite Herman song, just in general, and what is your favorite Herman song to sing? How's that? Is that easier? Uh-huh. I Good. think my favorite Herman song to sing is Marianne from the Grand Tour. Okay. Uh, I think it's 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 one of the most beautiful songs he ever wrote, and everybody doesn't know it, 
and its its simplicity is stunning. It's so beautiful. And I remember when I saw the Grand Tour when I was in college, and that song. I, I mean, it just it stayed with me forever. You know, it's just it's a classic. And um, people, it's not one of his most known songs. So I think you know, whenever I hear "I Don't Want to Know" from Dear World. Uh, I get goosebumps, you know, regardless of who's singing it. Um, I, that's probably my my favorite song, and it's you know, it's 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 vintage life affirming Jerry Herman, but it's also got such pain and pathos underneath it, and uh, I I love it. I think the score of Dear World is stunning. Oh, there's a reason you're a specialist in in Jerry Herman because you really get into the music. By the way, and I should mention that the two songs that Jason just mentioned, I Don't Want to Know from Dear World and Marianne, back with uh, Mrs. S.L. Jakubowski, are both on your CD. The CD is also called Perfect Hermony. It's on the Kritzerland label, uh, which I guess you can get at jasongra.com, or do you have to go to Amazon, or, or how do you get it? Uh, you can get it at Kritzerland.com. Oh, okay, cool. Kritzer, Kritzerland. Uh, Bruce's label. And I think it's eventually going to be over at Amazon. Uh, Bruce Kimmel said that it was he was uh, heading it over to that place as well. So, uh, Or I'll be selling it at the Lori Beachman Theater on Monday or Tuesday night, Dave. Oh, so people can cut, you'll sign it and everything? You'll, 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 uh, you know, you'll I will shake a hand? I will sign it. I'll do cartwheels if anybody buys it. I don't have to carry like all those CDs back to LA on Wednesday, so I'm trying to you know dump them out now when I can. There you go. So let everybody go to the show, go to the cabaret show with Jason Grob, Perfect Harmony. Get the CD. You will not regret it. It's, it's really quite delightful. I'm going to play another track. I know. I know um, you have to leave in about two, three more minutes. I thought we would have a bit more time with you, Jason. You kind of threw oh, me a curve. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We are. How far are we from the train station? We're like right. How far are we from the train station? 40 minutes on the train station, so now we got to get in the car, because now I'm heading back to uh, to New York tonight. And so uh, I didn't know that we were quite this far, but oh my God, I'm looking at the river right now, and I'm talking to my my favorite DJ in the world. What could be better than this? <laughs> the favorite DJ that that, uh, that Jason doesn't remember. So, um, do, do you have... <laughs> it was so, it was so <laughs> wonderful the last time. I had to put it out of my mind. It was getting in the way of my relationship. So you do have a couple more. You're in the car, so we have a few more minutes. Or not? Oh, well, you know, I could talk in the car. There were oh. three other people sitting there with me, you know. So uh, well, so yeah. so let's do another five ten minutes, and then and then you know, okay. so I can okay. annoy you a little bit longer. Uh, a, a question that I asked Barb Younger when she was on, uh, well, about an hour ago on, on this show, had to do with the fact that, you know, there's New York and L.A. when it when it comes to cabaret, and how do we get more cabaret in between? those two states. How much of what you do is between the two coasts? And and you see that growing of, of you know, a feel for, for cabaret performance in the middle of the country. In the middle of the country? Yeah. Well, you know, the climate's very, very different now than what it was 10 years ago. Um, you know, I love cabaret. I, coming, or doing it in Los Angeles where the, the audiences are so, <laughs> you know, they're so savvy and so theater savvy and those are my people. And so, you know, to get to do it in, in cabaret rooms, uh, you know, um, in LA and New York is like, to me, just, it's, it's the ultimate, you know, perfect experience of performing because it's just so much fun and the energy is so ridiculously through the roof. Um, 
you know, to me, you do those these places, and then in Mid America, you know, where Cary is not particularly thriving in, in a, a lot of cities, you you. You take the reviews that you get from New York and L.A., and then you go to, to small concert halls, and you do it around the country. And there's a lot of series, and there's a lot of yeah. theaters that I perform at, 500 to 1,000 seat theaters and things like that. And that's where you actually can make the money is in the middle of the country, you know, because uh, God knows we don't make millions doing cabaret. I am no. getting from. So, <laughs> I'm getting in the car right now with my fellows. Um, so, you know, it's but Los Angeles has become a surprisingly... Uh, uh, Mm-hmm. Very big cabaret city. All of a sudden, all these new rooms are popping up, and so it's 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 great to see. Unfortunately, uh, they fired the cabaret jazz critic from the LA Times. As the, everything is downsizing now, so there's not lots of support, you know, journalistic wise. So that's that's not helpful. But but uh, there's quite a thriving community right now um, in LA. So you know. Huh. I rival New York yet, but it's getting better. Getting there, getting there, and, and of course you're helping. And but do you, do you have any idea why? Is it just a cyclical thing? Is it that there are more actors there who sing, and so when they're not, you know, uh, trying to get a TV series, they're what? What yeah. is that? It is that why? Yeah, I, it's it's a huge thing because there's so many people that come to LA from New York for periods of time, and you know, the, you, weeks go by in LA where you do nothing. <laughs> you know, it could be a wasteland sometimes. So these places, you know, they have this upright cabaret in Los Angeles and uh, Bar Vermont, and and some some of these places they've got you know a bunch of really great Broadway singers out there who just want to be out there performing. And Jim Caruso comes out there and does oh. the cat party, and, it, and it's Act. It's always a huge event, and oh, okay. I wanted. I, I just was told we're going to lose a signal at some point. Okay. So I, um, if you lose me, it's only because of the signal, not because of mine. That oh, and <laughs> we just did. Jason. Yeah. Oh no, you're back. There you are. Am I back? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was quick. All yeah. Right. We only lost you briefly. Um, we're talking with Jason Grah in a car in upstate New York. Um, everybody, make sure to see him, though, when he's in regular New York uh, in the days ahead, playing at the Lori Beachman at the, the West Bank Cafe is actually the, the name of the place, 407 West 42nd Street. That's right around 9th and 10th Avenue. He's uh, doing two more shows until October 25th of Perfect Harmony. Um, Jason, are you there or are you lost for good? Jason? Okay, well, we've, we've, it, it has been a pleasure. He did warn us. Jason Grah, whoops, stop that. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Jason Grah, perfect Hermony. Let's hear a bit more of Jason saluting Jerry Herman the best way he knows how by singing his great songs. It only takes a moment for your eyes to meet, and then your heart knows in a moment you will never be instant 
my arms felt sure and strong it only takes a moment to be loved a whole life long loving you is no jasmine and the noise of new year's eve loving you is now and yesterday is real and make believe loving you is wrong and new orleans and gazing at the lazy summer skies fireworks reflecting in your eyes foolish and improbable and wise and loving you is tart as lemonade and sweet as april wine loving you is watching all the lovely things of life come back in your arms i'm all i wish i were i'm brave i'm strong and i'm true as long as i can go on living loving you and that is all that loves about and will recall when time runs out that it took a moment to be A bit of Jason Gra there. It only takes a moment and loving you here on Dave's Gone By. We have Jason back. I, I didn't know if he would be able to call back, but he has and he is. He is here with us uh, for, for a little while longer before he goes into another tunnel, as it were. So, um, J Jason, welcome back. First of all, we, before we lose you again, yes, you were in an off-Broadway show called Olympus On My Mind, a very delightful show, and I was involved backstage with stuff like that. Well, what, what were you remembering, that that show was protested? 
Yeah, by the, you know, because it was at the Lambs Theater, and there was like, uh, there were Nazarene, uh, people of the Nazarene faith would live there. It was kind of like a boarding house for Nazarenes or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, outside the theater was the New York Times quote, which said, naughty musical comedy fun. In right. The New York Times. And they were so upset by the word naughty outside their boarding house and church <laughs> that they would actually, they would sit outside and pray for the show to close. <laughs> Good. I don't remember that at all. And I was walking in and out of that theater every single, that's so bizarre. And See, isn't that funny? See, so we all don't remember certain things, do we, Dave? I, I, okay, fair enough. And, and, and actually, people got their revenge because after that, Bo Jest was there for a long time. That the the That's show about right. the Jewish girl uh, with a non Jewish boyfriend and <laughs> That's right. we we got That's those right. Nazarenes back, although I think they have their theater back because the Lambs hasn't been uh, the Lambs for a while. Oh well, it's, it's not a theater anymore, right? I don't think so. Uh, I don't know what they would have done yeah. with that space. They probably just have uh, church services or something. I don't know. Oh uh, well. Well, their prayers worked because Olympus on my mind did close. You know, of course it ran, but it ran like you know almost a year, so it had a good run, but. Yeah, Eventually, no. Very good, right? I, well, I think I think God closed it. <laughs> well, well, didn't it move? It it, it went from um, the Actors Playhouse. Oh, that's that's why I don't remember it. I was with it at the Actors Playhouse. Oh, okay. That's that was right on Twenty Eighth Street. Exactly. I, and then it moved, and right. I didn't, yeah. Oh, see. That's right, because we thought it was like a flop at the Actors Playhouse. We thought, oh no, this is going to be horrible, and everybody, we, you know, we did, it started out kind of slow, and and then it got these great reviews, and then we moved it up to the Lambs Theater. There you go. There there were, I don't think any Nazarenes came to the Actors Playhouse. I, I doubt that very highly. Although it's kind of interesting, kind of cool. I mean, um, Ron Rains is now on Broadway in um, in Follies, which I'm going to be talking oh, about in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. so he, he was my father in Olympus on my mind, and I just say he's one of my dearest friends. And I uh, went and saw him in the show the other night, and I loved it. Loved him. It was fabulous. Uh, yeah, I agree. It was a really, really great revival. And I'm wondering, are you in touch with any of the other? Olympus people. Emily Zacharias, so she's doing okay. Do you, have you heard from her? Uh, Emily, yeah, Emily's doing great, and uh, I know she just played the mother in Nine out of the Westchester Broadway Theater, I think, last year, and uh, I love her. And uh, Faith Prince and I pop up. Uh, we run into each other from time to time in the concert world. We uh, taught at a Yale Cabaret Conference last year and did our shows up there, and. Uh, and uh, Marty Vidnovic and I keep in touch on Facebook. He let everybody know that he was having a mm -hmm. colonoscopy on his Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> Were there pictures, or was he just uh, was it just words? He, he, he put pictures up, but then he took them down immediately. Unfortunately, but, I saw them. You're kidding! He really did. I was joking. He put pictures of colonoscopy up. They lasted for like a day, and then he got rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. to him. I know, I know. Well, you know, he just has a lot a lot of love to share inside and out. <laughs> he certainly... Whoa. Well, that's... The, <laughs> I would say I'm sorry I missed that, but oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not. But um, <laughs> I, uh, that was kind of funny. And I keep in touch with Grant Sturiali and Barry Harmon, who I wrote it, who I loved, and Barry directed it. So uh, we still touch thanks to Facebook, you know. So do that's you, been a great thing. Do you still try out for Broadway musicals? Do you do that? Do you audition? Uh, yeah, although, 
it's not as easy uh, as it was when I lived here because, you know, most anything I got on Broadway was, was because I did, uh, you know, a reading of it, which then went on, or did a workshop, or, you know, did demo tapes. You know, I, I got in on the ground floor. It was very rare that I went and auditioned for a, a show that was all ready to go to Broadway that I got. Um, so, you know, in L.A., you're not around for that kind of stuff, you know, like at, at the ground floor. Of the show, so uh, I would love to come back here and sit in the show for a while. It would be a ball. So I'm hoping some, there's some of that in my future. Ooh, and that, well, I, I hope so too, um, for all our sakes, and, and that it's long enough for me to come back from Colorado and come see you in New York. Unless, of course, you bring your your cabaret performances to Colorado. Hint, hint. That would be really, really nice to do. But a lot of it, it's hard to sing there, though. You get so out of breath. Liz Calloway and I came to Lake Dillon. Hmm. Is that what's called Lake Lake Dillon uh, outside uh, Boulder? Oh, I believe, and uh, they have a theater company there. And we did a, a, a fundraiser about five years ago and had a ball. It was great fun, and um, that's the only time I performed there. I did the falsettos of the national tour. We were in Denver. Oh wow, so it was really really fun. Yeah. I can see you in front. I mean, there. I would love to come there. If you have any ideas, let me know, Dave. You, well, you betcha. You be, we're talking with great Jason Gra, and I guess the the other usual question to ask is now that you're doing Perfect Harmony and bringing that around, but what's what's on next on your plate, as it were? Uh, well, let's see. I'll go back to LA next week, and then uh, I'm I'm hosting. I'm seeing some big cancer benefit at the Beverly Hilton in November, which is going to be. Okay. Always fun. Thank God for cancer. It's really given me some great work. And uh, then <laughs> I'm going to do... Uh, yes, sir. Do, uh, what are we listening <laughs> Then we're going to go to... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have to understand, J- Jason is, is this most... As I, I keep saying, this this charming, plucky, puckish uh, fellow. He was actually the voice of the Lucky Charms Leprechaun for a few years, and so you don't expect him to, to come out with a joke like... Me, you would. Me, people would go, oh, that's Dave. Oh, he's horrible. He's, he's, he's an evil, evil person. But Jason Grau makes a joke about cancer. It just comes completely out of left field. Shame on you. But but thank you. I know, forgive me. <laughs> you know, you have, you've got to laugh sometime or you commit suicide. So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> one tries to have <laughs> some levity. It's been a tough year. I've had actually a lot of friends who have been uh, stricken with it this year, and it's been a very difficult uh, year. So, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You've got to laugh sometimes, right? Well, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm, and it's funny. People I know, too, have, have had a, a tough year health-wise. We ran into a person that uh, we knew a couple of years ago, and uh, we were having breakfast, and we saw her, and, oh, her hair was really surprisingly short and different. And he's like, oh, it's interesting haircut. And she was like, no, well, it's chemotherapy. I was like, oh, boy, you know. And, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. A very friend of mine uh, just went through it, and she had, they have now this thing where they do this whole ice pack thing where they're, they're uh, for like, you put it on the day of the chemo, and it uh, keeps the hair follicles, uh, you know, from expanding, and she's kept all her hair, and she's been through three chemo treatments, and she only has one to go. So it's kind of like this new miracle therapy. God, um, hey, well, good luck. And, and are you healthy? Are you fine? Everything's good? So far, so good. Knocking on wood, Dave. That's what it's all about. That's that. That's good and to you hear. You right? You're feeling good. Yeah, thank God. You know, just the, the usual. Yeah, you know, I get up in the morning. If I'm still breathing, I feel good. <laughs> no, thank God. Thank God. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. So we are heading towards. 
talk to you. It is, man. Great to talk to you, Jason. We are heading towards a happy ending. Hint, hint. Let's you know the, the song I'm about to play. So everybody, again, one more time, Jason Grah, get his new album, Perfect Harmony, from Kritzerland.com. Also, everybody, check out JasonGrah.com, G-R-A-A-E, JasonGrah.com. And everybody, go see him at the Lori Beachman Theater um, up until October 25th. Jason, it really, it, it's, it's been a joy, as I knew it would be. Thank you. Best of luck. I, I, I guess that's about it, isn't it? Say something horrible. <laughs> uh, Dave, I can't. It's so I, I've missed you so through the years, and I'm glad to finally talk to you again. Likewise, man. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Thanks, Dave. Bye bye. I promise you a happy ending like the ones that you see screen So if you've had a bad beginning Love will come out winning in the closing scene And if you find it rough contending with the grind that the world us through I can promise you a happy ending that has you loving me loving you
What do you say up there? I see it all. It's like a movie in my head that plays and plays. It's not just the bad things I remember. It's the whole show. Waiting around for the girls upstairs. After the curtain came down, money in my pocket to spend. Honey, could you maybe get a friend for my friend? Hearing the sound of the girls above dressing to go on the town, clicking heels on steel and cement, picking up the giggles floating down through the vent. Goddamnedest hours that I ever spent were waiting for the girls upstairs. Hey up there, way up there, what do you say up there? That's where the keys hung, and that's where you picked up your mail. I remember me and Ben, me and Ben. We come around at ten. Me and Ben and hang around the wings, watching things with what the hell was his name? You know the old guy, Max. I remember. Anyway, there we'd stay until the curtain fell, and when the curtain fell, then all hell broke. Girls on the run and scenery flying, doors slamming left and right. Girls in their undies blushing but trying not to duck out of sight. Girls by the hundreds waving and crying, seeing tomorrow night. Girls looking frazzled and girls looking great. Girls in a frenzy to get to a date. Girls like a madhouse and two of them late. And who had to wait and wait and wait? Uh, there are people, a lot of people, who couldn't wait for a good revival of the Broadway musical Follies to to come on back to Broadway. And well, we waited long enough, and it. Finally happened. See, there was a a revival only about five years ago or so of Follies on Broadway, and it just didn't happen. It it was ugly to look at, and uh, you just couldn't really get into the characters, and it didn't gel, and it was kind of boring. And so it felt like a real missed opportunity for one of the classic Stephen Sondheim scores, and potentially really good overall shows to to make a statement because the original one was was you know quite a few years ago and even that was i wouldn't say controversial but it had its detractors and it had its proponents and there are problems with the show that it still has but uh, you know to finally get another look at any Stephen Sondheim show pretty much is an important thing so when they blew the opportunity a few years ago and they announced aha we're going to try it again and so now there is a new follies 
on Broadway. It opened at the Marquee Theater a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's, it's scheduled to play until January. In fact, it's in the news just this week. Michael Regal, Regal wrote about it in the New York Post, saying that it's turned into something of a minor hit. It's, it's, it's grossing about a million bucks a week, which is a little better than they expected it to do, and everybody's thrilled, and, and they want to extend. The only problem is they can't because they need... Uh, the, the theater. It has to close to make room for the revival of Ebita that is coming in. So, uh, it, it's, it's a happy position for producers and the actors to be in that the show is a hit enough that they would love to keep it running and, and they can't. So now they're looking for another theater to put it in and I hope they find one because this is a really exceptionally good show. Um, the thing about Follies and that that fills so many Stephen Sondheim musicals and scores is that they are about regret, the choices that you make in life. When you get to that fork in the road, where do you go? Do you go left or right? And there's always the sense of, well, I took this road, okay, but what what if I didn't? What am I missing? Uh, That sense of ambivalence, of of course, in company. I'm married. Should I have gotten married? Should I have not gotten married? Should I stay single? Should I not? Every, no matter where you are, there's always that dichotomy of where you could have been and the choice not chosen. And that's certainly in evidence in follies. And it's very boldly stated here. I mean, you have people who are married. You've got um, Sally and Buddy who... She obviously, he is not her first choice. He's a great guy. He's doing very, very well, very successful. But uh, she just never really loved him. And she's always been in love with Ben, who is, you know, I guess the handsomer dude and got all the girls. And he's married to a very glamorous wife. And they're not happy either. They live very, very well. They're rich. They're at the parties. They go to all the right places and know all the right people. But he's stooping around. She's tired of him. Nobody's happy where they are in Follies. And the question throughout the show, the whole plot of the show is, is anybody going to make a change or are they just going to settle into their patterns, presumably for the rest of their life? And that's, that's kind of the whole deal with Follies. It feels epic in a way, and yet it's really a microcosm. It's for people and their miserable lives and marriages and the roads they could have and did not take. And of course, the lyrics are extraordinary, and it's some of Stephen Sondheim's best songs, is his most beautiful music. It's not my favorite Sondheim show. I mean, I don't think it's a patch on Sweeney Todd. Uh, I mean, let alone West Side Story and those kinds of shows, but uh, or Sunday in the Park or Company. But at the same time, it really needed this kind of great restaging to show us, oh yeah, this is an important show. It is a terrific show. Does it still have certain problems? Yeah, there's this thing where the whole first act is introducing us to these characters and where they are in their marital relationships and relationships with each other. And then early in the second act, it kind of stops. There's no real place for them to go. They've come to a crisis point. Is this character going to leave that one or realize that that's not going to happen? So we're, we're brought to that point, and it's a dramatic thing. And then most of the second act is taken up with not any further plot development. It's sort of yes or no, and then in the last five 
three minutes, we find out yes or no. And in between, they have the, the Loveland sequence. And, you know, on one level, it's great. You have five or six Stephen Sondheim songs in a row. What could be bad? At the same time, they're, most of them are not pushing the plot forward. So we're kind of sitting there going, well, it's a good song, but, uh, you know, something else should be happening. Or sometimes the songs will already repeat things that we already know about a particular character. For example, Buddy will have, have sung a, a song earlier in the first act where we get it. Okay, um, he loves his wife. She doesn't really love him. And even though he loves her, their marriage is kind of vacant and empty, so he's sleeping with these other people and he has a mistress. So he's got marvelous song about it. So in the second act, he comes back and sings Buddy, Buddy's Blues, Another good song, but it's not telling us anything about him that we don't already know. The, the, the one song that really does galvanize the second act is, of course, um, the song for Sally, who's just about, you know, she, she's really on the edge of the cliff, as it were. And she sings Losing My Mind, one of the great later era torch songs. And at least that pushes her char character forward a little bit more. It doesn't just tell us what we know. We, we also learn that she's a little bit out of reality. She's kind of losing it and borderline going literally out of her mind. Great, great song. And it's, it's very, very well done by Bernadette Peters. Although the big star, the big find of this revival of follies, not that this is a surprise, is Jan Maxwell. She has turned into a bona fide Broadway star, and as uh, Ben Stone's wife, I'm, I'm forgetting the character's name, she has a couple of songs, and she knocks one of them out of the park. Um, I, you know, I wish I had the CD to, to play for you. I don't think it's been recorded yet. But boy, oh boy. The, the thing about this follies is a lot of the times the songs that have become famous through the cast album originally and through Cabaret and you know, just through part of the American songbook now, these are not the best versions you're going to hear. They're not the most exciting or the most powerful. I mean, you know, we have I'm Still Here, one of the classic songs of modern musical theater, and it's a very good version done in this Follies, but it's not going to make you forget Elaine Stritch doing it or the original. Uh, but so many of the songs in this Follies fit into the context. It's, it's giving us a mood and a picture and showing us these characters. So the show works as a whole, which is the most important thing. And, um, but still, Chang Maxwell is an incredible standout. Um, she tears the roof off the place, literally, with the song Leave You. Great, great song. I mean, I sat through Follies and I could have sat, sat there in the theater and said, Play it again. I'll, I'll just stay here all night. I'll watch it over again. That's the kind of show that is. If I were on Broadway working as an usher, uh, not that anyone would hire me to act, but if ushers get to see shows for free and they're, they're paid for it, this is the one show I would come back to um, you know, every night. You, most of the time what happens is they have to stay through the whole show once and then they get to go through the first act and the intermission, and then they can leave. This is, this is a show that I wouldn't mind doing that seven or eight times a week, Follies. You should know, Follies fans, that, yes, there's the original truncated cast recording that is out there. There's also the New Jersey Paper Mill 
version, which is my favorite, that I just played uh, a clip from before the segment. And then, right in uh, a week or so, Sony Masterworks Broadway is releasing, re-releasing the 1985 Legendary Follies in Concert recording. That's the one with Barbara Cook and George Hearn and Mandy Patinkin. I have to say, the audience is going berserk in it, and, and there's some great stuff in it. For me, I prefer the paper mill version, um, just for the story of it. But if you want to hear an audience that is enraptured and in love with this show and with Sondheim and the performers up there, you want to check this out. Sony Masterworks Broadway re-releasing the 1985 Follies. Oh, and go figure, I have a track from that. This, let's see where, where we have it. Okay, this is Don't Look at Me from Follies with Barbara Cook. Direct from Phoenix Live and in person, Sally Durant. Here she is at last, twinkle in her eye. Hot off the press, strictly a mess, nevertheless. Hi, Ben. No, don't look at me, please. Not just yet. Why am I here? This is crazy. I know that face you're trying to place the name. Say something, then, anything. No, don't talk to me, Ben. I forget what were we like. It's so hazy. Look at these people, aren't they eerie? Look at this party, isn't it dreary? I'm so Yes, it's possible. You might be Sally. Did you fall asleep at Toscanini broadcasts? Did you eat baby Ruth's for breakfast? I still do sometimes. Oh, Ben, you're just the way I knew you'd be. You make me feel like I was 19 and the four of us were going out in the town. So, just look at us, fat. Turning gray, still playing games, packing gray. God, how depressing me, me. I'm, I'm a hundred, you, you're, you're a blessing I'm so glad I came What we need is a drink What you need is tickets to see Follies on Broadway at the Marquee Theater It's just uh, it's, it's a terrific show and highly, highly recommended. Three and a half stars from me here on Inside Broadway on Dave's Gone By. I also wanted to, to mention another show that I saw uh, while I was in town, a real sleeper. I, I caught it only because they were doing a 10.30 in the evening Friday show. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have had time to fit it in my schedule. So I went over to Intar, which is this, this small theater on West 52nd Street, like way west, over towards 11th Avenue. Not really expecting much, but just figuring, hey, you know, it's a, it's a late show, I have time to do it. And uh, a show featuring Carlo Alban. It's a, it's a solo piece directed by David Anzuelo, and it has to do with Alban's life coming from Ecuador as an immigrant, as a child, with his family. Only the immigration wasn't exactly legal, so his family ended up getting... Um, 
you know, forged papers and, and going to places and getting the documents that they needed, wink, wink, while spending the next bunch of years trying to become naturalized and actual American citizens. And I, I wasn't really, as I said, I thought, okay, uh, so one person, it's very, very good. He not only tells his story, he tells it through the characters, the people that he knew, like when working as a window washer on buildings, also doing some of his family members. The the characterizations are very believable and they're well phrased and interesting. Um and, and the other interesting part of, of Carlo Alban's story is that he was really hiding in plain sight to the to the point where he was cast on Sesame Street and he had a role on there for years. He was one of the child actors with all the Muppets. And they had no idea. He had forged papers. <laughs> they had no idea that, that this kid who represented the American dream was actually here, um, you know, not with true legitimate American papers. And so I, I would really recommend this show, especially for people who don't know where they are on this whole side of immigration. Do we forgive uh, people who came over, do we, do we make it easy for them to naturalize? There are people who, uh, what, what we have just a week ago, I think it was Herman Cain or was it Perry, one of them w- was saying, well, what we do is we build a fence and we electrify it. <laughs> and that's how we keep the image. He was joking, or I guess he was forced to say he was joking uh, when, when people started to say, how could you say that? So, yeah, I mean, as a person who finds it difficult to find work at my age in this country, in this town, I can say, well, you know, why are these people who come over to these shores taking all these jobs? Are they jobs I would take? I doubt it. I don't know. And and one of the important points that uh, Carlo Alban makes in this show called Intringulus is that um, they, they do pay taxes. The, the whole thing that everybody says is, well, they come here and they, they get everything that we give them and they get to partake in the wonders of American society and they never pay taxes. And that is apparently not at all true. They pay taxes just like the rest of us and not just sales tax, of course, but I think they, they, they file. They have to. Um, you know, if your, your papers are forged, they are papers. You are showing them to get work. So... That's kind of a, a lie that's been told. And also, I remember um, a former friend of mine married a woman who was from another country. She was from Russia. And bringing her over was a headache and a half and dealing with immigration. And that has not changed. If anything, it's just gotten more corrupt and worse. And these people, the, this guy's family over the years ended up paying you know, tens of thousands of dollars. I think it was like 40000 bucks, most of it in bribery just to get their name pushed to the top of the pile so that they could be seen and actually get their real green cards. Uh, You know, it's one thing if we can say, hey, they're here illegally, it's not right, send them back or naturalize them. It's quite another to take advantage of people from wherever they are, whatever the circumstances, just to line the pockets of some lawyers and judges. I mean, that's just wrong no matter what. But... Anyway, the show is called Intringulous. It's been extended again. It's now playing through October 30th at Intar. There's music in it. Uh, Alban sings some uh, songs by legendary uh, Latin American songwriters like Victor Jara and Agawalpa Yupanqui. I, you know, the songs are fine. He's a pretty okay singer, pretty good guitarist, actually. 
I could didn't really need all of those songs. And also, there is some confusion in the show in the storytelling. Sometimes we'll think that he's talking about himself when he's a child, and then suddenly we'll realize, oh no, he's already he must have been in his late teens by then. So he he should kind of. In my opinion, finesse the storytelling a little bit. It could be cut a little bit too, uh, but I, I wouldn't touch the set design. It's marvelous. Very simple, like these black squares, and he writes in chalk on them when he's demonstrating some stuff, and there's some terrific pictures and projections. It's really well staged that way in the design. And so, yeah, if you're in New York now through October 30th, go to Intar and see Intringulus with Carlo Alban. Very recommended inside, well, it's off, or maybe even off-off Broadway, but here on Inside Broadway on Dave's Gone By. Well, huh, speaking of the fact that I was in New York, one of the funny things is that for all the time I was there, I never saw the Occupy Wall Street protest. I was there for almost a week, and it was almost right near me. I would go to a Broadway show, I would come out, on like 8th Avenue, and then I would be told, well, it's a good thing you didn't go up 7th Avenue because the protesters were all there and the cops were arresting people. I was one block away. Absolutely oblivious to it. In fact, the closest I got was I was walking up 10th Avenue from one show to another, and then I saw all these people, these mass of young people, and a lot of them in weird, funny costumes, and I was like, oh, well, I guess these are the the Occupy Wall Street people. No, it turned out they were coming from (laughs) Comic-Con down at the Javits Center. So I'm really uh, apolitical as I am. And it's just kind of funny that there I was in the heart of this major protest that has been spreading and has some legitimacy to it and <laughs> barely saw a moment of it except on the Internet and on the news. Oh, well, at least I didn't get arrested. But I have my thoughts about the whole Occupy Wall Street thing. Someone else who does is... um is our guest in the neighborhood now. He's He's been on shows ever since our very first episode back in 2002. He's, he's back from the Jewish holidays and celebrating those. Here in the neighborhood, always happy to have the one and only Rabbi Saul Solomon offering his rabbinical reflection of the week, Occupied. <laughs> Shalom, damn it! This is Rabbi Saul Solomon with a rabbinical reflection for the week of October 23rd, 2011. So, all these people without an occupation are busy occupying. They're occupying Wall Street, they're inhabiting Zuccotti Park, they're occupying cities and colleges across America because the have-nots are getting abyssal sick and tired of the haves. It was ever thus, people. Before we were all born, a handful of upper-class hoity-toities looked down on the rest of us. If they were in a generous and tax-deductible mood, they donated a library or slipped a few bucks to charity. Everyone hates the rich because they're rich, and we're not. Life sucks, then you die. But... Now we have a growing segment of the population who are fed up with the status quo and think they can change it by showing up somewhere and not leaving. Hey, 
It beats violence, and protests certainly did have an impact on the Vietnam War, racial segregation, and the rollout of new coke. Still, I am bothered by two aspects of this Occupy Somewhere movement. The first is the and-then-what factor. Okay, so you shout at the rich, you rail at the corporations, you run the CEOs out of town on a rail. Well, more likely a Learjet. And then what? What do you replace them with? If the protesters are saying, make college affordable, or at least make it so I'm not paying off my student loan with my Medicare and reverse mortgage, okay. If the protesters are saying, change the tax code, fine, I'm all for it. Tax the rich until they're poor, tax the poor until they're dead, and give the middle class a break for once. If the protesters are saying, don't let stockbrokers, bankers, and corporate bigwigs get away with rampant fraud, I am for that too. Let them get away with just enough fraud so that they keep jobs in America instead of farming them out to Uttar Pradesh. The problem is, we don't know what the protesters are saying except we can't get jobs, the jobs we get don't pay anything, and the pay we get goes to buy imported crap because we don't make anything. Republicans and social conservatives keep wanting to liken the occupiers to Soviet communists. Well, guess what? Those old Russians were rebelling against the gentry and landowners who controlled everything and gave nothing back. Sound familiar? Communism didn't happen because the poor wanted to give Fox News talking points. It happened because the peasants found it unpleasant watching the czars eat pheasant. These hippies and Democrats and college kids and ukulele players, they don't care about words like Marxism or capitalism. They just want their piece of the pie. And they're not blind. They know that out of ten slices, nine have been gobbled up before the pizza even gets delivered. So... If you ask where my sympathy lies, it is with these demonstrators, even if the only thing they're demonstrating is how easy it is to get really grimy after three days sleeping in a park. What I do take issue with is the whole theme of the protest, occupying. The organizers took their motif from the so-called Arab Spring, you know, where young Arabs got tired of their corrupt totalitarian leaders, so they staged relatively peaceful rebellions that will ultimately bring in corrupt fundamentalist Muslim leaders. Anytime you look to the Arabs for a moral compass, you're pretty much going to float into an iceberg. The anti-Semitic undertones of the movement are very minor, but they are there. From the usual grievance that Jews comprise the evil 1% oppressing the other 99 to the idea of that loaded word, occupation. Even though the protesters are themselves the occupiers, you can bet many of them are weeping for the Palestinians supposedly displaced from the sliver of Israeli land they absolutely have to live on. And yet, and yet, and yet. There is a positive impulse here, and I hope President Obama 
and whatever clown the Republicans pull out of their sidecar, I hope they listen to these rebels and take to heart the idea that American wealth, enterprise, and future security have been stolen by a handful of families and corporations. When everybody gets to eat, but some people eat a lot better, so it goes, that's the world. When people are starving and Marie Antoinette is still eating cake, that's when the knives come out. Or worse, in this case, the bongs and bongos. This has been a rabbinical reflection from Rabbi Saul Solomon, Temple Sons of Bitches. Well, thank you, Rabbi Saul. Always uh, an interesting pleasure to have Rabbi Saul weighing in with his rabbinical reflections on Dave's Gone By. I wanted to let you know and remind you that Rabbi Saul will be doing his live one-man show. Actually, there's two people in it because there's, there's a pianist as well. But he's going to be doing the show, Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon. Monday and Tuesday, November 21st and 22nd, those are the uh, Monday and Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, 7 o'clock at the Norton Theater on the campus of UNC. I think tickets are actually free because it's, it's uh, connected to the One Act Festival on campus here. But it's a full-length show. It's, it's uh, I think, about uh, two hours and 20 minutes. And it's the rabbi, <sighs> imagine rabbinical reflections times 10 plus music, songs, Weird, crazy songs that only the rabbi can produce. So yeah, Rabbi Sal Solomon, mark your calendar on Thanksgiving week. That's the <laughs> you'll be thankful when it's over. Shalom Damak at the Norton Theater, November twenty first and twenty second. Do not miss it. And also find out more about Rabbi Sal at his website, shalomdamit.com. That's where you can read these rabbinical reflections, or click on the YouTube clip so you can hear them that way. All sorts of cool stuff from the rabbi at shalomdammit.com. Reminding you also that davesgoneby.com is very much around and, and back with a redesign, so you can click and hear all our old shows, nearly every show we ever did is on there absolutely free. You can either download them as podcasts and listen on your, you know, your iTunes or just stream them directly on your computer, davesgoneby.com. And we're finally, hopefully this weekend, going to put up some of the recent shows. Because of the website redesign, I wasn't able to put up uh, the show with Rhea Gardner and with Bonnie Franklin, all these wonderful guests we've had these past couple of weeks that, um, you know, I wasn't able to share the archives. Well, now, finally, we're going to um, so, so just keep it peeled in like the next 48 or 72 hours and check out davesgoneby.com. Also, uh, want to remind you to check out totaltheater.com for theater reviews and theater articles and performingartsinsider.com for really inside information about Broadway and off-Broadway theater and all the things that are going on on the stages of New York. Speaking of stages and stuff, before we have to leave here, I do want to uh, give shout-outs to friends of the neighborhood. Those are people who have been on the show at a certain point, because once you're in the neighborhood, as Jason Graff found out, and once you remember that you've been in the neighborhood, you're always kind of family. Uh, first, well, before anything else, I also want to wish a uh, Rafua Shlema to my Aunt Esther. Esther, uh 
cannot believe this. She was bitten by a dog this past week. I mean, a big-ass bad dog, a mastiff. Wasn't a pit bull, but I guess mastiffs are pretty bad. They're, they're the Cujo dogs, and this dog just saw the little dog that she had and, you know, took a run at it. Uh, my ancestor scooped the dog in her arms, and the mastiff decided to take a huge, nice bite out of her hand. She was in the hospital for three days. Uh, thank God she's home now and getting better. There's going to be some stitches, and, uh, you know, Esther, hire a damn good lawyer. That's what you need. You need a lawyer who is the equivalent of the mastiff that bit you, and I hope you get one, and I hope you get well very, very soon. Speaking of full recoveries, um, Chris Lemon by the way, if, if you remember, he was our guest a couple of weeks ago in the neighborhood. He, he's Jack Lemon's biological son, and he was very close with his father. And uh, he was going to be doing that cabaret show the day we were talking to him in New York. And then he had a kind of a medical emergency and had to reschedule his show, A Twist of Lemon. But it took place. It, it was done on October 14th at the Metropolitan Room. So congratulations to Chris for that, and I hope it went very, very well. Uh, let's see, other people who have been in the neighborhood, Carrie Hoffman, still doing My Sinatra at the Ha Comedy Club in New York. Uh, this week, Karen Coonrod started directing Love's Labor's Lost at the Public Theater in a lab production in New York. Coonrod, one of our earlier guests, she was here back in January of 2003, Love's Labor's Lost is running at the public from October 18th through November 6th. Christine Petty uh, is going into Miss Abigail's Guide to Dating, Mating, and Marriage at Sophia's on West 46th Street. That was the show. Joyce DeWitt was in it, and before that, um, one of the, the Brady Bunch people opened the show. Uh, Christine Petty goes in October 29th, and she'll be with it for a little while. So yay for her. Linda Lavin, got to remind you, not only is her CD out, uh, what is it called? It's, um, Hey, Look Me Over, You've Got Possibilities on Shkaboom Records. So, yeah, it's a Ghostlight subsidiary on, oh, wait, let's, uh, it's out on Ghostlight now, and then November 29th it goes into stores like Amazon and places like that. So start looking for it now, Linda Lavin's new CD, and be sure to catch Linda Lavin in Nikki Silver's play The Lions, off-Broadway at the Vineyard Theater. It got really good reviews and just got extended. Um, best Nikki Silver play in years, apparently. I wish I could have seen it when I was in town. Anyway, see her, Linda Lavin, in The Lions at the Vineyard. Let's see, other people who I have to talk about. This is all November. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll say that for November stuff. Just reminding you that Jim Caruso's cast party plays Monday nights at Birdland. And everybody, subscribe to drdemento.com and visit Alan Sherstool's column, Studies in Crap. Huh. I mean, you can Google that to, to find out how. Well, unfortunately, I, the time, it goes, it goes, it goes. It is already 1 o'clock here at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, Colorado. A check of the weather lets you know that this is another beautiful day, and we've got two more of them, Sunday and Monday. Temperature's going to go into the mid-70s, and not that cold at night. Won't go down to freezing, but then, then we start getting a serious cold front on Tuesday. It'll still make it up to the 50s, but then the low in the 20s, and Wednesday is the first day in forever 
except for a rainstorm here and there, where the weather's really going to suck. <laughs> We're probably going to get snow showers, and the high, the high temperature will only reach 36 degrees, going to go down into the teens. So let's hope the snow shower is just that, just a shower. And then the temperatures start to climb back up towards the 40s and 50s later in the week. So we just have to get through that, that Tuesday and Wednesday nastiness that we're going to have, and you'll be fine. But for the weekend, oh, enjoy it. Sunshine, fabulous weather, mid-70s, do enjoy it here in Greeley. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. You've been listening to Dave's Gone By. Um, again, check out davesgoneby.com for uh, lots of information about the program. Check our MySpace page for the playlist of songs you've heard on today's show. And as I said, we're going to try and get this episode up along with other recent ones on our website in the archives at davesgoneby.com. Well, it has been really a joy being with you, being back on the air after these couple of weeks' vacation. As I, as I scan my notes just to make sure I've covered everything, well, the one thing I did not get to was saying goodbye to another musician we lost this week. I know we, we lost Bert Jansch and talked about that. Um, well, we lost him about two, three weeks ago. We also lost Jagjit Singh, a master of Indian Ghazal music. Now, Ghazals are song poems about love and separation. They're kind of like sad sonnets that... Jagjit puts to music, and uh, for many, many years he also sang with his wife Chitra, and they make really terrific records together in India. He was really the most best-selling Indian music artist outside film music in that country. What happened was uh, he and Chitra, they still were still together, but what uh, they would sing together, and in when was it, 1990. They lost their son, Vivek, in a car accident. And after that, Chitra refused to sing. She, she retired from the limelight and public life. But Jagjit Singh has, was still doing concerts. And in fact, he was performing pretty recently. I got to see him in New Jersey a few years back. Very long concert, but really wonderful to be there. And great to hear him and see him doing his non-traditional-ish but semi-classical Indian type of music. I wish I had time to play more of his stuff, but we've got to end the show. This is my favorite song of his. This is the one uh, that you've got to sing to and clap to. You've got to bounce around to it. It's just so catchy and lively. I don't even know if I can say the title of it, but we're going to leave the neighborhood for this week. We're going to be back next Saturday, hopefully with a really, really cool special guest. I think I've, we've got one or two people lined up. That'll be, um, I think it's actually November 1st. So we will open November with another Dave's Gone By, Saturday, 10 o'clock in the morning till 1 in the afternoon, Mountain Time on uncradio.com. It just remains for me to thank a few people. Beck Lee of uh, Blitz Media and Susan L. Schulman for their help in putting together the interviews on this program, and the interviewees themselves, Jason Grah, who is going to be doing a couple more shows at the West Beth Ca- West Bank Cafes, isn't it? Um, ooh, let me find it. I'm going to get it right. 
It is the West Bank Cafe in the Lori Beachman Theater on West 42nd Street through October 25th. And, of course, Barb Younger. Make sure to see her at the Metropolitan Room through October 29th. And to, to go visit both of their websites. Thank you also to my lovely and adorable and wonderful wife, Joyce Weil, and to General Manager Sam Wood of of the radio station. I saw him for about three seconds, but we got to wave at each other, and and sometimes that's enough. (laughs) What? I hope I put that right. Anyway, thank you to all the folks who helped me get this show on the air and to all the fine folks out there who are listening. Let us go out with Sarakti Jai Haing... Oh, I've already blown it. Sarakti Jai Hain Ruchse Nakab Ahista Ahista. Those are the only two words you really need to know for this song. This is Ahista Ahista Jajit Singh. and gone by sarakti jaye sarakti 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 jaye hai रुख से नकाब आहिस्ता
چند نئے شیر پیش کر رہا ہوں سوال وصل پر ان کو اردو کا خوف ہے اتنا خوف ہے اتنا خوف ہے اتنا خوف ہے اتنا
حضور حضور آہستہ آہستہ جناب آہستہ رکھتے جائے ہے رخ سے نقاب آہستہ 